Hello. Hey there. I just heard you. I just heard you. So I thought you just told me to f off, but no. Oh no, I started. No, I did not. Not Oh, oh, that's good. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So you're back from IKEA. I I'm we're back. Yeah. Sorry, it took me took longer than I thought because my idea my IKEA my idea was that Mary knew what she wanted and we were just going there. She knew we had a deadline. We were just going to go there. Yeah, it doesn't happen. <laughs> walk in the door. Yeah, it's and then, but no, we just we dawdled through the entire store. And yeah, we even, yeah. t- but we took a shortcut. We didn't go through the showroom area. Yeah, it's fine. Still, yeah. But yeah, uh, you're still like, it's still a maze that you dawdle it, through. Yeah, it's intentional. Yeah, it's all part of the plan. <laughs> it's like the little mouse going, just like I'm just going to step into the maze, just <laughs> grab the cheese. And yeah, I'm just going to get right out, and then it's all of a sudden, oh, this I forgot. <laughs> Nonsense. They and got now they're me. grading me. Oh, they're grading me. Now I gotta smoke a cigarette. Alright. <laughs> this is how they get you. Yeah. Did you find the things you were looking for? Kind kind of. I did I didn't find the thing that I was wanting to get, because I wanted to get a little they have kind of like a hanging garbage can sort of thing that I actually wanted to put out uh, like kind of beside our by our back door from the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Just to kind of put our newspapers and stuff in our in our cardboard into temporarily until we take it outside because quite often we'll just kind of well just like put like kind of drop our papers there and <laughs> instead of putting you know because you don't want to like walk out to the recycling every single day so you know we just kind of put a bunch of stuff there and then a few days in take it outside and put it in the recycling but i just wanted something that would kind of keep it just like a neater more organized area but uh, it i don't know it wasn't i couldn't find like we walked, watched through. Oops, we walked through what I assumed was the kitchen area, but it it didn't it didn't seem to have kitchen storage or anything like that. Because I don't know. So whatever. They got me. I walked through their whole store and they I didn't buy. Any, I guess they didn't get me because I didn't buy anything. Mary oh, bought. But Mary bought a bunch of stuff because she wanted she wanted to get a shelving unit. She mm-hmm. just she just um you know I guess she has to face the fact that she's not going to be moving up for a while. So she uh, repainted her bedroom and then she. Moved, moved the furniture around in the room. And I think it's a, it's a better plan than what we had before. Like, it feels like... It's one of those weird things. It's the same amount of furniture, but you move it around and it actually fits better. Sure, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And so so she did that. She she, she improved the feng shui of the room. <laughs> and, and then... Uh, but she wanted to get... Because she bought a dresser a little while ago at an antique shop. So she she's going to move that into her room and put her clothes into that. And then... But she wanted another shelving unit for her, you know, knickknacks and sundries, mostly books. But uh, she also has some knickknacks. So she bought some little baskets that fit onto the shelves in that so sort of did modular she get, way. Did she get the Billy bookcase? She did not get the Billy bookcase. She Which didn't. is IKEA's number one selling item. Is that right? It is. The Billy Bookcase is the number one selling item, which okay. makes you think that they might want to like name other things, things you can pronounce. <laughs> but they no. don't. No, Mary got, okay. the, Mary got the Kallax. Oh, the Kallax. Yeah. So that's all right. Which I said, don't do it. So. <laughs> and then you stopped right there. Because <laughs> that's the proper <laughs> yeah, so you There's no reason to go on to the whole, it. yeah, if you want to yeah. suck or chew it and all that stuff. Yeah, no. You yeah, you we don't need to go up and get into yeah, it. Yeah, I don't want to, you know. It was a very, it was an odd mainstream song. Uh, and very mainstream song. It was very mainstream. Very mainstream. Too mainstream, but maybe. All of its all of its uses were, were wrong uh, in that time. Okay. 
Like their their video, Frankie Goes to Hollywood's original video for it is, you know, completely inappropriate for its its intended age viewership of MTV watchers. You know, it's just it's basically, you know, just like welcome to the gay club, which is fine, but you know, it was done in a way that's very provocative. And, you know, kind of above the heads of, of you know, the, teen, the tweens and teens that are watching MTV. Yeah, like, I, listen, I get that, you know, when the village people were around. Yeah. That maybe, maybe regular, you know, uh, television would, and talk about what, maybe they didn't know. Yeah. Maybe they didn't know. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> maybe they knew and that was the thing. Maybe it was cool. No, they, did, they didn't know. When I, when I told my brother, he got very angry at me for, for suggesting such a thing. Well, there you go. I would see, see there, there's the thing. But like, and, but you can kind of go like, well, you know what? They may not know these were archetypes. Mm-hmm. They, they may not know what a leather man is. Yeah, I yeah. can see how in a pre-internet world, unless yeah. you unless you happen to like see yeah. cruising, you wouldn't know. You know, why would you think? <laughs> yeah. You know, the Native American character would in any way. Well, it's just it's just Halloween. It's good yeah. Fun. That's right. Uh, and it is good fun. It still is good fun. Sure. Uh, but like, when you get a song called, you know, it's going relax, don't do it. When you want to come, uh, and then you know it's like, and then just they yell "come," and then go, bah, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. How'd you miss that one? And yeah. if you didn't miss that one, how was every was everyone just cool then about this? Yeah, different cool, and that's cool that they're cool. I just don't get like everyone was like, "Huh? What do you mean?" Like, yeah, sincerely, like nowadays you've got whack. Obviously, yeah. You know, but everyone knows what they're talking about. No, well, yeah, they they show it in the video. <laughs> well, they don't show it, but you know, they, they, I shouldn't what say they show it in the video, but yeah, they're very explicit. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's about that. Okay, I didn't know that. But then the other weird use of that song, because it was also made into kind of a video with in Brian De Palma's movie Body Double, mm. with Melanie Griffith as Holly Body, who's like a porn actress, and there's like a scene. With her and and what's the guy's name Craig Wasson or something like that who plays the 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 lead in the movie the lead male anyway and and they're it's you know it's this, it's a you know it's a thing once again where it's you know like who's 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 watching this like what, who's this for it's really weird so like you know even as like now when I watch it as like an adult I watched it a little while ago on um, that uh, channel that that, that um, Hollywood Suite channel. Is it- is it a De Palma film? It's a De Palma film, that's right, with, okay. with Melanie Griffith as Holly Body, and I think his name's Craig Wasson as a sort of a hapless dweeb who gets kind of sucked into this, um, you know, murder, murdering, someone else murdering his wife plot. Okay. And he's basically like the patsy, and she's, and Melanie Griffith plays the unwitting uh, decoy, uh, kind of lures him into the situation, and and uh, and so uh, after after the thing happens, he... he um, he sees her, and it's kind of a echoes of Vertigo, where he's like, "But I saw you die," and then he's like, has to track her down. And but it's a really weird and kind of awkward thing where he's like pretending to be a porn producer, but also a porn actor. And there's like, it's kind of weird. They're like you're not really sure what's going on. And but the movie doesn't like the movie has like elements where it feels like it's a fantasy sequence, but it never ex- it doesn't make it explicit in any kind of way except for how it's shot, and it's kind of weird. So I- I've never. It's 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 a it's a yeah. It's one of those there, there, it's one of those De Palma films where it's sort of like it's half good. <laughs> that's okay, no, that's a, that sounds like a De Palma film to me. Um, <laughs> first of all, I I get why you like it when you like it because it's got 
vampires in it, and I love if you know you enjoy a vampire related <laughs> thing as we know by sure, sure. our door shadows thing. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm just looking up the cast. Okay. And the cameraman yes. in it was played by uh, Rob Paulson, who is uh, Pinky from Pinky and the Brain. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, hmm. North. He's, yeah, it's uh, got Dennis Franz as this sort of a, you know, a B, B movie director. And and then has I can't remember the actor's name, but he's in all kinds of movies. He's always a heavy in a movie. He's always a bad guy. Okay. And I don't know his name, but but uh, yeah, whenever I can't, yeah, he he he's the one who kind of kind of uh, suck because uh, Craig Wasson is returning home and discovers that his longtime girlfriend is having an affair, and of course he's shattered, shattered, and uh, and so then he has nowhere to live, and so this guy offers him a place to stay. And then he, he kind of lures him into into this. It's I don't want to give away the movie. It, it's it's like a movie where it's like, oh, this is really good and fun what they're doing. And then it takes this weird turn. You're like, well, this is kind of weird, and I don't quite know why it got so sleazy. It doesn't feel like it needed to do this. And unless that's just like an you know eighties itis where you had to have like boobs and you had to have some element of like sex and and yeah. that kind of stuff. I, mean, in I always the movie. get it confused with Dress to Kill. Which is a Which better is, is a better film, I think. And that's another De Palma, right? That's another De Palma film, and that, yeah, yeah, okay. and you know, like he loves, you know, he had like he had his things that he liked to do with the camera, which is make you and the audience culpable of for stalking or for being voyeurs, you know. So, like, even in a in a in a really junky film like The Fury, which is like this weird sort of three movies mashed into one with John Cassavetes and Kirk Douglas. Um, it also has Amy Irving in it, and there's a scene where like Amy Irving's walking with her friend along the sort of park front in Chicago, and it's like a you know a couple minutes long scene, and we follow behind. They're wearing bikinis, and we're just sort of following behind them the whole time as they're talking to each other, you know. And and but it's, there's like no reason for that. They're not being stalked. They're not. There's no one following them. So why is the camera like tracking them for for five minutes from behind, other than to make the audience the voyeur in the situation? But there's no reason for that. Why should we feel guilty? Like he could have shot it from the front. He could have had them fully dressed. He could have had them sitting on a bench talking. It it's just a weird scene and only explicable by its its time period. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's uh, he's one of these directors. I'm just looking at his. His, his list, yeah, uh, who, who basically did a film a year, if mm. not, you know, and if not every two years. Oh, he was a very. It's weird to think of now because he's almost. And he wrote a lot of them too. Yeah, yeah, he's almost forgotten in a way that other filmmakers of his generation, because you know he was he was a you know he was a friend of Scorsese and Spielberg and and uh, George Lucas. In fact, he wrote the he wrote the crawl. I believe he wrote the crawl for the first Star Wars film mm. because he felt like you, George, no one could understand why, what's going on. Like if you just start a movie like this, everyone's going to be like, you know, what's, why, why is this, like, why is this happening? And said, let's, you know, let's follow your idea of it being like a movie serial and we'll introduce it like a movie serial. And so he wrote this crawl for it, you know, with the, you know, a long, yeah. you know, and all that kind of stuff. And just to kind of set up the the whole idea of it as being like kind of a fantasy, not a serious, a serious science fiction film, kind of, you know, to kind of set up the mood of it, you know, and, and all that stuff is all kind of the idea of the crawl. But apparently he's the one who wrote that for Lucas because he just, he thought the film was good, but he just thought, because, you know, the time that he showed it to everyone of, of that generation, like Coppola... And Spielberg and and 
Scorsese and De Palma and all those guys who were, and John, John Milius, who were all kind of friends with each other. You know, when he showed it to them, it was still kind of a rough cut. Like he didn't have all the special effects done. So he's kind of like, imagine these, you know, uh, sp- you know, uh, spaceships are fighting each other and they're flying around and <laughs> like oh, okay <laughs> and okay and these guys have these swords they're like lightsabers and they're fighting each other uh-huh so there's elements that they couldn't like see because it, he could, they couldn't see it you know he's having to describe it to them but overall like it's been said it was a big disaster but that's not really true like all of them like thought it was good but they just you know there's elements that they couldn't comprehend because there wasn't in the movie yet and right. then and then they just felt like it just started too abruptly to be to you know, to it almost kind of cut the audience off of the legs, like right at the beginning of the movie, and that he should have like something that kind of gave you this sense of ah, we're going to enter into this world, and now it's going to be this, you know, and then and then you have the big, you know, the big, uh, you know, imperial ship coming in over top of the the screen, and then you get that epic, or you get first you get the of course the rebel ship, and then you get that epic scene of the the. You know, and and then you get the sense of oh, so they're you know now you know like you know that those are the rebels and these are the bad guys because you know one is one is smaller than the other and you know then you understand all the movie language starts to make sense to you right away. So yeah, just uh, you know he's not uh, he's no slouch, and I mean like for me personally, like I think Carrie is a great film. I love his split screen his split screen stuff in that movie. I think it's just it's just genius. Sisters is is fun. It's like a really great film. I mean, great in a campy, you know, like a lot of his films are like kind of trashy. Yeah, I've never seen Scarface, which I think like if mm. you're looking at one that was, you know, the yeah. posters on the wall. Yeah, written by Oliver you know. Stone and Brian De Palma. Or not even, I don't think Brian De Palma wrote that one. I think it was written by Oliver Stone and one other guy. Yeah, it wasn't written by, uh, it wasn't written by De Palma. Yeah, but he had a big part to play in the development of the... Yeah, of Oliver the Stone, yeah he, yeah, he wrote it. Yeah, yeah. you're right. And yeah, then, I mean, to me, like you know, the Untouchables was, you know, it, like it or not, it's just, it's, it's, oh, it's just great. such a movie. It's great. It's, it's a great yeah. film. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's you it, can you can you can really obviously you can step back and just go corny at some point, <laughs> but it's so consistently corny. That's it. And like, I mean, he's playing like, to the posters of things. Yeah, you know, they're just like just to show you, ha 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 ha, and it's just like, yeah. That's the poem. It's great. Yeah, I I really enjoy like a director who has a style and and has fun with it. You know, like I I like stylish directors who who how you know do weird things. You know, whether it's long tracking shots or you know split screen or or just movie tricks. You know that that you know like zoom in, zoom out, and all the sort of things. I think are really effective. Can be effective in in filmmaking. All right, here's a trivia question. Trivia. Name the Brian De Palma movie. Yeah. He directed it, did not write it. Okay. Uh, the only one he ever did that was based on a Disney theme park attraction. Really? Like it really was? Yeah. A Disney theme park attraction. Well, let's go uh, inspired by it, and it's the same name. So they got the rights. So, yeah. Hmm. Uh, okay, everyone. Sorry. Uh, this will disappear in a truncated silence, I hope. Just trying to think through his films. Um, 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 um. I'll give you the year. 2000. Oh, I get I get kind of vague. So is it? It's not Mission to Mars or whatever. It is. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And inspired by the Disney Park attraction. Oh wow, wow. And I really like that film. I know the people. There's people who didn't like it, but I really like that film. That's one with like Tim Robbins and Gary Sinise, right? Yeah, there was another one that was around that same time. Mm -hmm. One of those where like, if you liked a movie, there was always like another like. Yeah, Last Days. Dante's Peak. Yeah. Uh, You know, comes the asteroid. Here comes a different asteroid. (laughs) You know, yeah, it's weird. It's, 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 I think that really is like 
Hollywood studios discovering someone else is making a movie and they're like, oh, we should do that too. That sounds like a good hey, idea. Hey, we're making a biopic about Truman Capote. Not alone, you're not. <laughs> not on my watch. We're hopping on that bandwagon. <laughs> right? Knock yourself out if you want. It's fine. Yeah. You know, we have one of the best activists generation playing Truman Capote. Well, we'll get it too. Yeah. How do you like that? How do you like that? Jim Carrey is Truman Capote. What do you think? Somebody stop him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he uh, the the most recent movie he directed was uh, Domino. I'm, that was no, 2019. No. So yeah, he's oh, still going. He's, he's 80. Still going. He's still going. Good on him. He's doing. I mean, he's sort of back to his his roots where he's doing very very uh, low budget films because he did that um, Black Dahlia, which I did not think was very successful. Although I did have that that wonderful camera going over the whole building shot. Did you? Did I you have see? not seen it. Oh, okay. Well, there's a scene in the film where like. There's a character on one side of an apartment building, and they do a scene there, and then the camera goes up and over the entire apartment building to reveal the the murder victim of the Black Dahlia on the other side in this in this vacant part across, across the street from the back of the apartment building, and it's just this like tour de force shot, which you know I feel is sort of wasted in a movie that is completely incoherent, mostly because he was trying to not him I guess, but the studio was trying to make a book. I can't remember the name of the writer. He's the same guy who wrote L.A. Confidential. But it's just one of the one of those, um, you know, his books are like huge, like hugely dense, you know, uh, widely populated with different character books. And then you try to make a two-hour movie of that. I mean, it'd be better, you know, it'd be better, like, I guess, as a, like, sort of multi-part TV adaptation if that if you, you know, wanted to, like, see everything. Or if you're clever, you find that nugget of, of an interesting element in the book and you you adapt that but you don't try and adapt the whole book because you just end up with what that movie was a huge mess because there's all these characters, but there's not enough time to explore their like motives or what they're doing or why they're this, the way they are. And so everyone's actions and, and decisions are all incomprehensible to you. And it's just a mess. I didn't really enjoy that film very much, but I thought femme fatale, which he did, I think in the early, early 2000, early, sorry, early, like, like 2010 around there. Anyway. 2002. Oh, it was 2002. Oh, wow. I didn't yep. realize that that early. I thought that was very good. But I, yeah, he wrote that one. Yeah. Yeah. I think he filmed it in France or someplace like that. Like, it was done in... Was... He uh, made some good dough off of uh, Mission Impossible. That did okay. Sure. Yeah. Sorry, done that. Yeah. And uh, pe- shaking off the bonfire of the vanities. Shaking <laughs> off. That's a very good book. That book about the, the making of that film. It's a very good film. book. That, yeah, it was a movie, and it was a movie. No, no. I mean, well, the book's very good. I I really like that Tom Wolfe book, but I mean, also mean the uh, there's a book by I think Julie Solomon detailing the 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 run running off the rails of that of that movie. Ah, very good. Like the decisions, each decision that was made was equally bizarre and it just got worse and worse you would think that okay that is okay because then he goes he does do carlito's way you know solid and then oh, good Mission impossible and yeah. you're fine uh but, bef- but between the two like right after bonfire of the vanities mm-hmm. he did raising cane which is this film was bananas that's a bananas movie but it's fun though right it is it's, it's, fun. it's a fun it's movie like, what the hell like i remember being in the movie theater watching that and it was one of those <laughs> c3 movies in a day yeah yeah Otherwise, i wouldn't have gone out to see it yeah like, yeah I, I paid for it i'm gonna see it and when it got to the twists near the end, which were just crazy <laughs> twists, uh, like we yeah. all were just in the theater looking at each other going, what? Huh? Okay. Yeah. All right. That is a that is an actor's movie, that one. That's just for oh, John shit. Lithgow to, <laughs> to, have, to have his fun. Yeah. Because that's, that's, that's a lot of acting going on in that movie. No, I mean, 
you know, he came up through, like, he never worked. He was, although he was friends with a lot of guys that came up through, like, you know, did work with American International and Roger Corman, like Coppola, like Martin Scorsese, you know, he, he never, he didn't, he never did that way. He started off doing, um, very, um, kind of guerrilla filmmaking, small, small, kind of smallish films, like Greetings and, and things like that. And then, and then he kind of branched out from there. And I think he filmed like a play. And then, and I can't remember which, I think, I think, I think Carrie was like, his kind of his breakout movie. Okay, that makes sense. That everyone, like, you know, everyone was amazed by and, and thought was great. And that kind of gave him, you know, the, the clout to do Phantom of the Paradise, which was not a success at all. Well, Phantom of the Paradise came uh, before Carrie. Oh, it did? Yeah, 74, Phantom of the Paradise. Oh, I thought it was the other way around for some and, reason. Uh, and 76 was uh, Obsession? Was oh, okay. Then- Obsession and Carrie were both 76. Okay, okay. Yeah, it was interesting. There's that movie called De Palma, which was directed by, um, I think, Noah Baumbach and and uh, the Roman Coppola, I think. Someone, someone, someone like that. Okay. And it's basically just Brian De Palma talking. There's no other interviews in the film. And he just goes film by film through his career. And it's quite interesting because he has lots of good stories. Like he was talking about Obsession and he was saying that the actor in that film, whose name just jumped out of my head, um, uh, Genevieve Beaujold is the, is the, is the female. Cliff Robertson. Cliff Robertson, yeah. He, she was acting up a storm in that movie. Like she is so good in that film. It's, it's a, it's just like a great performance by her in the film. But he was so jealous of how good she was doing that he started sabotaging her part by like, purposefully like screwing with her when 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 he was like reading his lines opposite her like for shots and stuff like that oh man yeah just like total dick moves right like i was kind of surprised when i heard that but yeah he talks about in the movie like he said it was really hard for her because he was such an asshole to her during the whole shoot which in a way worked because it kind of fed into the feelings of the movie but in other ways it made a really fraught set and this seems to be a theme that i'm not digging that I'm hearing in a lot of movies. Okay. Which is like the director's addict to the actors. Yeah. And then gets a great performance out of them. And you go, well, there you go. You yeah, yeah. Performance, yeah. Uh, while being an asshole. Yeah. And it's like, mm, yeah, maybe find a different way. But this wasn't De Palma who's being the asshole. Yeah. This was Cliff Robertson. Oh, okay. All right. Fair and the, the problem for... Well, the De Palma's letting it happen. Well, the problem for De Palma is, as the person like struggling to get this movie made is Cliff Robertson is the money. Sure, sure. Yeah, Genevieve yeah. Bouljoe isn't the money. Like no one wants to, no one wants to pay for a movie to be made with her. So he needs a, a name actor. So he casts Cliff Robertson, yeah. and now he's kind of stuck in this situation. He can't shut down the production, you know, because then the movie's not going to get made. So he's kind of stuck too, right? Like he's also being yeah. But when a director can't say to the lead, yeah, stop basically, you know, yeah, bullying the other actor, sure. Yeah, then you're. I mean, it's part, it's bad, but he's he. He's no big guy either, right? At that point in his career, so it's true. But you are the director, mm-hmm. so like, there's got to be some some authority on the set, and the and the authority on the set is the director. Yeah, unless of course the the money bags is there. At the yeah, point. that I mean, I, like I don't know the whole story. If like, the head of Disney yeah. shows up. Then the head of Disney <laughs> has the thing to say. But but in general, yeah. you know, the director yeah. is the one who is sure. supposed to be controlling yeah. the, the set. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm against it. I'm against it. <laughs> Yeah, I guess, I mean, I don't know. I guess you can't, like, you know, close down the production and, and cast a new actor in the role because you just don't have the money. You don't have the, the flexibility to do that. So I know, I'm, I sure, that's, I'm sure that's a common reason, story. But you also have to do yeah. something. That's the thing. You gotta, I guess. Both things are true. Yeah, I guess. If you, unless you're, and then otherwise you're just, like, throwing 
throwing someone on the fire and just going, yeah, you got to burn because we got to, yeah. what do you do? It's, uh, I guess, it's I mean, I guess that's what you have to do though. I mean, I guess that's how he felt. I mean, I, maybe it's wrong. I don't know to say, oh, well, screw my career. I guess I better <laughs> just care for this person, but, but then you it sounds kind of asshole I guess. Anything really. Yeah. Right? Like anything there'd be, then nothing would ever get, yeah. Uh, better on any movie set because you go, hey, yeah. Screw but up I mean my that's, career. but I mean no that's why someone like that's why someone like Harvey Feinstein could was that his name Feinstein? No, Harvey Weinstein. Weinberg could work for so long, you know, and be an asshole for so long is that everyone is just like, well, I don't want to put what I'm doing at risk, so I guess we have to well, grin and bear it. That was that guy was an active. It's uh, yeah, that guy was an active, uh, you know, aggressor. Yeah. In, in many ways, of course, sexual aggressor. Yes, yeah. but also yeah. active aggressor, and then like he would actively crush your career mm-hmm. if there mm-hmm. was any you know thing. But then there's the passive side of things too, where you just don't want to speak up because Meh, I don't want to. You don't <laughs> want to be the the nail. Yeah, yeah. Goes in. But uh, someone's gotta or or nothing. Yeah. Uh, goes goes on. Or you mention it, you know, in an interview many years later. You, just go, that? <laughs> you have your revenge. Yeah. I mean, I think nowadays people are more open to hearing about that. Maybe in some t- cases too open yeah. to hearing about that because they've got money to be made by, uh, you know, uh, doing that kind of story. So they'll do it. Um, but yeah, at least now it feels like if some, you know, shit goes down, you can you can generally say mm-hmm. that. And also it helps that Weinstein was Weinstein and you know there were consequences for his actions where before it looked like there would never be consequences for anyone that high up yeah yeah just no idea what occurred and it was like oh there was I wonder yeah, how I wonder how Bujold felt about it that would be sort of interesting to hear hear her um so if you look at his filmography did Sisters come after Obsession Sisters was 72 oh okay so uh, much Obsession earlier. was 70 was 76, 76. yeah yeah just wondering because in that film the uh, Margot Kidder plays a, a. I mean, okay, yeah, yeah. Margot plays like twins, but they're French Canadian, and obviously a reference to the Dion Quintuplets. Okay. But I was just kind of wondering. I was like, well, I wonder if you kind of thought of Genevieve Beaujolais for that part originally, because to make it French Canadian, she's French Canadian. So, but then probably not. He probably just was doing it because it's a kind of an interesting reference to something that people know about the Dion Quintuplets. You go, oh, I know about those famous twins. So this makes sense now in this movie that there's. This situation. Yeah, what, if, what if babies were a zoo? Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Baby, like a zoo full of babies? Yeah, yeah, how about that? Oh, that's a great idea. Okay, well, you know, never let it be said Canadians didn't invent anything. Invented babies. <laughs> yes, well, that was, that was the early, that's the early days of reality newsreel. That's what they called oh, it in those shit, days. Oh, shit, you're not wrong. <laughs> and, and also people, yeah, would come to an actual, you know, kind of set up like a zoo. Mm-hmm. And watch and watch the children perform. Uh, many uh, uh, our our uh, good friend Nina Matsumoto's uh, husband Bob Mackey has yeah. a show called that I've been on and you've been on. Uh, this is Simpsons. Uh, what's it called? Talking, Talking Simpsons. Simpsons. Yeah. Um, but they covered an episode where uh, Apu had a octuplets, and they covered uh, the Dion quintuplet story pretty well on there. So huh. if you want to hear a nice deep dive, did they talk about that. did they talk about octomum? Which I feel it's more more of the more more current in that situation. True, but the uh, putting the babies on display. Oh, is that what happens uh, in the very much? Yeah, it was yeah. much more like the uh, the on quintuplet situation. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, I mean, that was a time period of, of I mean, that time that, that Simpsons things would have been done, there was John and, and Kate plus eight. Yep. There was the that Duggar family, whatever that show was called. Yeah, they definitely went with the uh, the idea that uh, there, was, there was drugs involved that made her have eight babies. Yes, for sure. And that was, and that was a reference I'm sure to Octomom. Yeah, yeah. 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 But then they, they went with the Gary Marshall character, uh, exploiting the babies. Okay. Okay. That's uh, Larry Kidkill. <laughs> Is that his name? Yeah. Oh dear. Oh, you should listen to talking Simpsons. It's a high quality show. I wonder how, I feel like that Duggar family has not been helped by, by what they, what they lived through. I wonder how those John and eight plus Kate, or John and eight, John and Kate plus eight kids feel about their experience. How long ago was that? It feels like they'd be in their teens now. I th- well, I think they'd be older than that now. Oh, okay, I've lo- I've lost track of time. Me too. Because of the you know, pandemic. I just I've just lost track of time because so much time has passed between those events that I, I've it's all kind of blended into a yeah. Into a okay, soup. John and Kate plus eight was uh, was uh, two thousand seventeen. Oh, sorry, two two thousand and seven was the first episode. Okay. Well, this can't be true. Okay. It says the first episode was 2017, and the final episode was 2017. They must have done a catching up with them uh, thing, because the show did not run 10 years. No, before. no, 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 because it, it fell apart. Like he, I think he left, right? They got divorced yeah, or something? they had 174 episodes, but uh, that does not get you 10 years. No, that's like three years of reality television. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. Season one was, you know, when I said uh, uh, 2007. Yeah. Um, uh, the second season was 2011. Uh, then we're getting to the fourth season. I'm skipping the third because I can't see when that one is. 2015, fifth, 2016, sixth, 2017. Yep. Guess it did. Weird. What, what they did a season every three years or something? Well, they did. They did uh, uh, hour-long specials. Of, so I think they're counting that thing. Oh. I think that's how they're so they did. So sort it's of tough. Yeah. Oh, sorry. And then it changed. It changed from uh, John and Kate plus eight to, as you were saying, Kate plus eight. Okay. Because John, you know, John took off. Yeah, he did not. He did not enjoy the. Uh, not enjoy it. Yeah, it doesn't sound enjoyable. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Yeah, no. I found all those. I remember when like Gene Simmons' show was on. And I watched it a little bit, and I kind of, I kind of enjoyed it at the beginning because the kids seemed like kind of grounded, and I kind of liked that. Like compared to the Ozzy Osbourne show, where the kids felt like they were, you know, just like showboats, right? Ready, ready for the big time of reality television. Where the the Simmons kids seemed to be more like kind of Riley Riley sardonic or ironic about this whole situation that their dad is like, you know, decided to make this show and ex- and exploit his family, and they seemed to kind of take take some pleasure in like needling him. But pretty soon. They kind of get caught up in the whole thing, and you know, it, you know, the whole kind of glamour thing starts starts to creep in, and pretty soon they're like they're like you know as put together as their as their as their ancient rickety parents, you know, and you, you start to feel like oh they they've bought into this thing, they've they've swallowed the poison pill, and I just forget about it. No, this is no good. It's lost. Yeah. It's lost the fun element of the making fun of their dad for me. Yeah, there was another show that was uh, David Foster. Uh, Man in Motion, guy, okay. that fella. Yeah. Uh, many other things. Sure. Um, but yeah, he had a reality show too. And he was like, you know, uh, my kids have never known not being rich and they're <laughs> spoiled. Oh, I got to discipline them. I hope it was I called, I hope it was called Foster Parents. Oh my gosh, it should have been. Eh? <laughs> Come on, let's, 
Let's go back in time and suggest Yeah, that. I can't see what the name of it was, but I remember it. Yeah. It was always like, my kids, they're so rich. <laughs> How can I control them? I don't know. A man in motion. Start it's- young. But, that, I mean, I'm sure that someone like him who is, I mean, that guy is, that guy is a piece of work. Is he? I don't, I don't know much about him. Well, he's just the sort of person who will, like, if you interview him, he sets all his awards nearby, you know? <laughs> So they're right behind him. So you can see you all. To be fair, though, like, that's yeah. a good time for an award heist. So you got to keep them there. In case, you <laughs> I guess know, so. Yeah, you don't want the you don't want the crew to, to put them in their ca- their film bags before they in all the camera bags and stuff like. Where did where did all my Grammys go? Where did my eighteen Grammys go? Exactly. So yeah, yeah, he would like put, but he won't just put one or two. He puts all of his awards. But as you say, there is a worry about uh, a word heist. But yeah, it's that kind of that kind of personality. I, you know, speaking as a Canadian, and he is Canadian. You know, he's he like, sure a, is. but he's only sort of Canadian because he comes from Vancouver Island, oh, yeah, yeah. which, as you know, is is separated from from Canada by law because of the difference between us. Yeah. So you know, that's yeah. that's a thing. It's and that's like a, the it's a, it's a problem. Know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, only it's there. Yeah, there's only one. You know of, what? There's only like, one of it. It's like it's like yeah. it's like our left kid kidney, but like on the other side we got the Maritimes. So we have like you know a whole bunch of other kidneys over there. <laughs> We're fine. We got a lot of right kidneys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've just seen him interviewed for other things, and you just you'll never you just he doesn't want to let you forget the fact that he's David Foster. And... Oh, he was also on uh, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Hmm. Because his well, wife. Yeah. Yolanda Foster sure. uh, was a regular for uh, for season three. Okay. And he's and he's had as much plastic surgery as the other ladies in the Beverly Hills Real Housewives cast. So Yeah, I he guess. Fits uh, ratings. Uh, That's one of the questions you have to answer to be on those shows, right? Is have you had plastic surgery? But not just have you had plastic surgery, how much plastic surgery have you had? Because that's what they want, right? Right. As soon as they and know the answers and the answers really do raise a few eyebrows. <laughs> Sometimes not. Sometimes it, there's later on. Sometimes it's a real blank expression that you get from the, the other ladies. Yeah, we're all having. Hey guys, we're all having fun. <laughs> we're, who are we to judge? We don't want to make this a botoxic atmosphere. Yeah, we're doing this. Look, we're mm-hmm. both doing this in our little little hovels, separate from each other. Little <laughs> squirrely nerd shit on the walls. Who are we to judge us, little trolls? These beautiful people. <laughs> Making Michael Bublé well, famous. Shit on the wall. You speak for yourself, sir. Okay. My, mine is strictly shit on the lawn. Oh, okay. And an excessive amount of it. Very good. You've got uh, <laughs> you got chickens outside of your uh, door, and I've got swooping crows. Just, <laughs> just plucking eyes out of people's heads and just flying off. One weird thing to me about David Foster and, and all Great. his like big giant hit songs and stuff that he's produced through the years, because he's, he's got the ear, you know, he's got that ear to... To like find the uh, absolute most banal talents and pr- and promote them, but he played with George Harrison like on Extra Texture and a couple a couple of those albums. Like he's and I just remember reading that later on and like having trouble like you know you know does not compute kind of situation. Like, I can't can't figure out how you know you can be the sort of hip session player playing with George Harrison and then later on you're like this sort of you know uh, schmaltzmeister. Well, that's it. You, you follow the money. <laughs> I guess that's what you do. You're like, hey, uh, would you like to get uh, hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars yeah. for this? Or would you like to follow your dreams? Yeah. And okay, he- let me just check on my mortgage payment. <laughs> and uh, let's see if my wife is very low maintenance. <laughs> nope. Um, so, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. 
And you also, do you want to run over Ben Vereen, or do you want to... Yeah, that was not a... That was bad. Don't do that. <laughs> yes, that was bad. Yeah, don't run over Ben Vereen. <laughs> Doesn't matter what he's doing, just don't run him over. Yeah, it's like when you heard that, and again, Ben recovered. It was not a... That was not fun. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Recovered. Um, but when you heard that, like, did you hear David Foster... Uh, ran over Ben Vereen. That's not the kind of thing that you just go, oh, that is the kind of thing that you have to go, okay, back that up. Which is also what Ben Vereen said. Uh, where you got to go, look, run that by me one more time. Yes, that's right. So when you say Ben Vereen, yeah. you mean Mr. Salafang, you mean that Ben Vereen. That's right. Ben Vereen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, now when you say David Foster, I mean David Foster Wallace. Really? The, no. <laughs> we, we, the slate, the slightly uh, conspiratorial history guy. Yeah. Um, no, no, not no, no. It's uh, David Foster, the uh, man in motion. Oh, that's also <laughs> ironic. And then, uh, and then he hit Mr. Cellophane, the guy that was always invisible. Oh, wow! So this sounds like a joke because it's man in motion hitting the guy. What, can't what is this, Mr. Cellophane? Well, that was a that was a song that he uh, that he sang. Oh, I don't didn't know that. Ben I don't really Vereen. know. I only know Ben Vereen from. He was in Roots, right? Wasn't he like Chicken George or one of those kind of characters in Roots? Uh, prob- most most likely, I'm not going to say he wasn't. Okay. But I'm going to say he was also, I believe, on um, the Muppet Show, and I believe oh, he I, sang I, Mr. Summerfield. Okay. Well, you know, you've been watching the Muppet Show. I've not been watching the Muppet Show lately, so. And I'm now looking, and yes, he did, and yes, it was great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. But was he Chicken George? That's what I want to know. Okay, hold it with your Chicken George. <laughs> Find out. Oh, my God. Ben Vereen. Remember when oh. we didn't look stuff up? Remember that? That was but, better, actually. But since you got the computer no, there. No, it wasn't better. It was, it was much better. Um, uh, <laughs> no, it was more like, um, it's more like, I'm pretty sure I'm right. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm correct. And then, you know, like a week later, someone writes in and goes, uh, actually... But I, uh, let's see. I was like, yeah, I was like when listeners would write in to correct us. That was part, part yeah, of the pleasure is, of the show. These are excellent questions. Let's see. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chicken George, you're right. Chicken George Moore. He did play Chicken George Moore. Of course, he was in Ten Speed and Brown Shoe. Oh yeah, and uh, it was very, very good in that. With yeah, uh, yeah, Joseph yeah. Goodfellow. And you can see a lot of those on YouTube. We watched those a while a while back. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I did. That was all right. I watched one show, but yeah. Yeah, he uh, was nominated for a Tony Award. Uh, and Jesus Christ Superstar. What? Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's good. So, uh, there you are. And, uh, and he also appeared with his co-star of Roots, uh, yeah, um, uh, LeVar Burton in an episode of, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, huh. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, there you go. So, uh, so there you go. Oh, also, sorry, uh, Madge Sinclair, who was also in Roots, was also in that episode. So there you are. And as we've said, uh, uh, David Foster hit him with a car. <laughs> not intentionally. Which again, it's not. It's it's awful to be hit with a car. Yeah, yeah. I was lightly grazed with a car. I mean, the thing is, it was traumatized. Let's face it. It's it was Ben Vereen's fault. It's Los Angeles, and he was walking. You know. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. And as we know, as I've said many times, yeah, Mr. Cellophane. <laughs> you just can't see him. Yeah, you cannot you could, see him. Yeah. Uh, should have been his name, Mr. Cellophane. You can walk right by him, see right through him, and never know he's there. <laughs> you are not familiar with this song. I am not. I mean, uh, it's I'm, it's you know, like when we grew up, when we grew up as kids, if you didn't see a show, you would never see that show. 
You know, like, uh-huh. so I may have not been at home when that Muppet show was on and thus have never, ever seen it because I've never watched like re- reruns of the Muppet show. Uh, here's the other thing. The song was originally from the musical Chicago. Oh, okay. And so, it, but it's not in the film version of Chicago. I would assume it is. Okay. I've never seen the film version of Chicago. So I just, oh, I was just wondering, I thought you, I thought you had seen it because uh, I, I had, I saw it with uh, my wife who hated it. That's right. That's what I, that's what I thought. So I assumed you, I assumed you saw it. So then she you would. physically ill. She hated it so much. And then uh, it won the Academy Award for Best Picture. And uh, that, that must, was a rough night. Well, that must have, no, no. But then that would have, she would have been better about it because that would have confirmed that she was wrong in her opinion. And so she knew that she had to change her opinion and agree that that movie was great. You know what? I think this is a more dangerous road to go down than the Ben Dream one that he was walking. So there's no need for me to, uh, to do that. I was just giving you some conversational options, and you can follow whichever one you want. If, if, you, if you are watching the movie, yeah. uh, Chicago, though, the person who sings Mr. Cellophane in that movie is John C. Riley. John C. Riley. All right. Yep. No, not a singer, so that must be painful. And yes, to watch. Oh, well, you say not a singer, but have you seen Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story? Yes, it's a very good movie. Very good movie. He pulls off, you know, some singing in that. Okay. Yes. I will say. Yeah. All right. Yeah. He, he sings a right. lot of songs, and he sings them in a lot of ranges. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe, maybe, he's, maybe he's more talented. Maybe he's more multifaceted as a performer than I'm getting He seems credit. like one of those actors. You know what? I would say he's the John Lithgow of his generation. <laughs> I would like to see him in a remake of whatever movie I can't remember currently. Raising, Raising Cain? About. Raising Cain? Raising Cain, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Bring back Raising Cain and cast John C. Riley, please. Well, he's a pleasure in most movies that he's in. Yes, agreed. I, I, I watched about 20 minutes of that Holmes and Watson. <laughs> because I like I like Laura, Laura Lapkus. Lauren yes, Lapkus? Sorry, Lauren Lapkus. Yes. I think she's very good. And so I wanted to watch her in it, and so I started watching it, and then I realized that I had a hard row to, to hoe, and I, I decided to not carry on. So I got about 20 minutes into the film, and I said, this is too much work, and I'm sure, I'm sure Lauren Lapkus is equally ill-served by this movie, so I'm not, I'm not going to watch it. She, yeah, she's, she gets some bits, it's fine. Okay. I, I remember I was watching um, Crashing. Uh, the yep. Holmes uh, series. Yes. And it starts off with him breaking up with her. Yeah. Or her breaking up with him. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, uh, I don't want to watch it anymore. Yeah, and yeah. She came back and she was like, okay. was I like, felt oh, I oh. felt the same way. I felt like, oh, well, she's not in it. What's what's the point of the show? And then and then they said like, well, wait a second. We got, uh, we got two other actors kind of replacing her. Oh, okay. Who you got? We got Artie Lang and T.J. Miller. And let me say... <laughs> Those guys are, there's no reason to never not like seeing them. So enjoy <laughs> Artie Lang and TJ Miller. Sorry, later on, and said stuff like, you gotta follow your dreams. Like, I'm sure she said that. To him. Like, but I don't think my dreams are good. I'm bad. It's like, no, you're good. You're good. And then he goes, you're kind of the opposite character of like Sarah Silverman. In School of Rock. <laughs> oh, yeah, where she just went, don't follow your dreams? Yeah. Remember she did that? That was a weird part for her. It was. What the hell was she doing in that? I mean, it's work's work. I was going to say she was taking a paycheck. That's what she was yeah, doing. Yeah, what are you going to do? Talk to the director and say, my character's terrible? You might lose money. <laughs> you can't do that, as we've established the end. <laughs> Pretty much. 
Yeah, you pro gotta, people like School of Rock. I think weird. I don't think you arrive on the set and discover who your character is. I think you already know it before you get to the to the set. You know so. what I think though? Sometimes is like with a with a movie like that, like it does. Like okay, you, you're you're casting a movie like School of Rock. Yeah, and you got Jack Black as the lead. You got mm-hmm. a bunch of kids. Yeah, and then you got an, a, a, another guy who's playing your husband, who's a comedic actor. You know, as well as other things, but he's also a comedic actor. Also wrote the movie. Uh, yeah, I think I think what you what you what you assume is yeah we can make this. It's not just going to be me being a shrill yeah. uh, character through the whole thing, going boys. It's not <laughs> going to be that. It can't be that. We're all we all know yeah. that's not the thing. And then you get to the movie and you watch the movie and just go, well, that's a good movie. But <laughs> yeah, what I really. How are you doing with Sarah Silverman? I really like that movie. Yeah, but what the fuck are you doing with Sarah Silverman? So you would be okay with that role. If it was another actress playing that part. I would be okay if there was a second level to that character. You've got to throw a little depth on that character. Like, why does she feel this way? Mm. Give her some justification. Give her character some depth. Yeah. You know, because the thing is, you do that with every one of the kids. Every one of the kids is a walking stereotype. Yeah. When you first see them. And then, of course, Jack Black cracks that egg. You see the second (laughs) level. And it's like, now the weakness, your weakness is your strength. Let's use that. Flip it, flip it. Now yeah. you're all uh, coming together. Here you go. He learns something. The superficiality that he's got, he gets deeper. Everyone gets deeper. Sarah Silverman. <laughs> Basically, you know, don't yeah. listen to your, you know, again, shrill, uh, shrill girlfriend when she's giving common sense advice. Yeah. Ooh, on her. Ooh, Sarah Silverman. Like, jokes for fuck's sake. Also, let her sing. Maybe that's her thing. Listen, I'm just going to re- I'm going to rewrite her part right now. She's so upset about this cuz she gave up on her dream of singing. Yeah. Uh, and she's now had to carry the weight of this guy uh, and and he is not willing to make any sacrifices. But you know Sarah Silverman has an amazing freaking voice. So maybe at some point she ends up singing or has to sing and 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 he's oh why don't you do that cuz i one of us has to be an adult that's why well i'll be an adult and let you do that so you could be more the person you like to be okay there we go there we both make compromises that's what a relationship is and then you get to see her do that and then she loses up and then she's having fun ah everyone wins boom do, do we ever see her in the movie again is this the one part isn't it or is it i can't remember like the whole film, so... You know what? I assume because they made it into a Broadway musical, I would be shocked if that character didn't have an I Want song somewhere in That would be amazing if they didn't have something where, like, they explained themselves yeah. and, and there was still just that character of just, like, don't do this. <laughs> but I, I, I'm trying not to be Marge Simpson yeah. right here, just like, Homer! It's like, don't be... Again, I feel like I'm just plugging Tompkins. Uh, watch my episode. Watch the, or, or listen to my episode. Listen to Dave's. Um, yeah, yeah, listen to mine. Yeah, don't just make your uh, female characters scolds, uh, <laughs> you uh, bitter divorce guys writing movies. Knock it off. Yes, listen to me pleasantly surprise atheists on a podcast. <laughs> well, she does. That's true. Well, I mean... I think I think I remember reading an interview with Sarah Silverman around that time, and she's like, she just basically said, "I'm not going to look like this forever, so I'm just I just I'm just taking whatever roles I can get." So, which is interesting because that was in uh, 2003. Yeah, yeah, and she still looks pretty good. Very successful, you know, like on every level. But I don't know if I don't think she's really done a lot of. Has she done a lot of films of that sort of of that sort since then? Uh, well, what, what, what do you consider that sort of film to be? Well, just sort of like, 
a film, like a, you know, just like a regular film, like not the one that's like a, a concert movie of her or a special, you know, a silver well, ceremony. She's, she's done quite a few independent movies that okay. uh, have been like real, ooh, like actory, actory ones. Okay. Uh, let's see. I missed, um, I missed them all, I guess. Oh, Where? no, no. She's, uh, and, and again. Wither Film Threat Magazine. That's, that's how I, I've lost all contact with these sort of movies. <laughs> Okay, so uh, for her uh, film, oh, yeah, there's a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she was, okay, yeah. Uh, I mean, you just go, like, what year do you want from, like, School of Rock? You know, Bad Santa, Hair High, Nobody's Perfect. Uh, you know, of course, Sarah Sheldon's Magic. She was in Rent. I, I Want Someone to Eat Cheese With. That was a small one. School for S- Scoundrels. Hmm. Uh, she was in Funny People. I think that's a Richard. That's a Richard Linklater film too, isn't it? School for, for School for Scoundrels. School for Scoundrels. That is a good question. Uh, nope, Todd Phillips. Oh, Todd Phillips. Sorry. Yeah, uh, she's in the Muppets. Take this waltz. Record Ralph, of course, animated. A uh, million ways to die in the West. Uh, Punching mm. Henry. Pop star. Never stop popping. Book of Henry. <laughs> Battle of Sexes. Uh, again, Ralph breaks the internet. Uh, marry me, yeah, and just tons of TV. Yeah, yeah, tons of TV. Oh, that's good. Good for her. Yeah, and and comedy specials and podcasts and and a couple of TV series. Yeah, she's fine. We should she's, all have her career. She's doing very well. Very and also well. For somebody who had uh, uh, the kind of material that you would normally think would be is like, oh boy, good luck with her nowadays. And but she, you know, she she pivots, she alters. Mm. She, you know, changes uh, with the times and evolved as an artist. She's a spot-changing leopard. Uh, as you have to be. I liked, yeah. her, I liked her a lot on Comedians in Cars Drinking Coffee because she's one of the few people who've ever been on there who kind of called out Seinfeld, which I really liked. Hit me with it. How so? Oh, I, I just sort of like gently kind of scoffing at his more e- extreme views, you know, like she, she kind of... She'd do a lot of kind of stuff like Jerry, <laughs> you know, stuff like that, right? Like where he'd be, be, be like making one of his sweeping generalizations and she'd, you know, she also like gets after him for not tipping enough as well. So yeah, it's good. Yeah. She, um, this actually kind of leads into something I was, I was interested in talking about. Uh, oh, well, let me just cheer the conversation away then. Yeah, please do. Chuck, there you go. <laughs> um, but I was listening to her on uh, another podcast. Oh. It's like another podcast. Traitor. Uh, uh, Mike Birbiglia is working it out, um, uh, where he uh, goes over uh, material that he's going to work on and brings in comedians, and they work on material together and talk uh, about stuff. Ooh, cool. Uh, but, but the subject matter turned to an interesting thing, and mm-hmm. he went, uh, which was a bit awkward. He felt awkward talking about it. But he was asking, like, why do you think comedians die so young? Because just in general, that's the thing with, like, comedian is, like, the life expectancy of a comic. Yeah. It's not great. Well, I've heard that, and that's why I'm not funny. Well, um, then you're going to do better, because apparently the funnier ones yeah. uh, do actually have less of a, of a life expectancy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. but why, what I wanted to kind of tie it into... Well, I'm thinking crack cocaine, or just uh, cocaine. Well, here's the thing, though. It's like, they compare them to comedy actors. If you compare them to comedy actors, yeah. or even just like dramatic actors, again, comedians... Uh, much shorter lifespan. About sixty-seven point one years is the uh, when when uh, when the uh, Guardian did an article about this and uh, researched it. Uh, the average life expectancy of a stand-up comic was uh, sixty-seven years, basically. Don't you think it's kind of lifestyle related? Well, let me get into this for a second. I'm going to tie two things together, <laughs> All right. and then we can uh, we, we'll split into separate corners. And talk <laughs> so. Ding ding ding. 
because it ties in a little bit to something we talked about on a previous episode, Oh, which, which is uh, Mad Magazine. And when I was working on Mad Magazine, one of the things I, I joked about, but I was also like, a little bit, yeah, uh, <laughs> was they, they had all these people like Sergio Aragonis and Al, Al Jaffe yeah. and Jack Davis and, and Mort Drucker. And almost everyone who was like the people that were like the top people on Mad Magazine, yeah. all either are still alive and in their 80s, you know, or if they did pass away, they passed away in their 90s, hmm. Al Jaffe's 100, yeah. uh, uh, you know, even Will Elder is like one of the youngest, uh, and at 86, Wow, that's like, you know, oh, that's good. No, I, you know, 86 is good. I, I'll take yeah. it. I'll take and it. And so it, I was thinking, Dave Berg was also, was like 81. Hmm. Um, but I was thinking like, so why is it that say like, you know, uh, the Mad Magazine folks, yeah. they have this high life expectancy. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the stand-ups, you know, have the low life expectancy. Mm -hmm. Both make their livings in, in comedy. Yeah. Uh, what, is the, what is the difference? Well, I would say two, two things. Hit me with it. One is work environment. Like, I think Mad Magazine was a fun place to work. It wasn't a high-stress place. You know, like, for most of their careers, they were working for the owner of the magazine. And Bill so Gaines. Bill Gaines. And so, you know, and he was a guy who liked a jovial workplace, you know, and he also paid really well, too. You know, so it was a job you could do, make a lot of money, like make a really good page rate. And, and according to uh, Sergio Aragonis, uh, when we cornered him and wouldn't let him go once, uh, he was saying how they made most of their money off the books that would come out later on. Okay. The paperbacks that would sell in the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would get a cut of that. Sure. And that's pretty generous if you think about it. Like, there's lots of publishers who will not uh, give any recompense to, to for reprints, you know, for books and stuff like that. Right. So, uh, so, you know, I think, so I think that's part of it. And then also the fact that they were, you know, like in a stable life, like they had a job, they, you know, many of them were probably married and would go home to their families and just have like a normal life. They weren't traveling. They weren't eating, you know, in, in, in uh, greasy spoon restaurants and, and in a hotel restaurants where they're working, you know, they weren't. Are you assuming, by the way, that they worked at the Mad Magazine offices? I think many of them. think they worked at home? I think many of them did work at the Mad Magazine offices. Okay. You know, like they did, they went in, you know, a lot and they worked in the offices because, you know, it wasn't, they just didn't do their, that one page or whatever. They would come in and, and they would be part of like a bullpen of creativity, you know, where they would sure, sure. map out other, you know, things to do in the next issue and, and work on ideas and, you know, kind of throw in, throw in their own jokes into things. Like, so they just, you know, and so some of them, you know, like, like, uh, Don Martin, you know, he lived in Florida. So, you know, right. you just got his stuff in the mail. But I think that's one reason why he left and the other one stayed, despite the fact that, you know, the reason he left was perfectly justifiable. He wasn't getting his original art back from, from Bill Gaines. And Bill Gaines' attitude was, well, no one does, you know. But Darman was like, well, I want it back. And if you're not going to give it to me, I'm going to leave. And so he left. Where the other guys who were more in the culture of the magazine were kind of like, eh, whatever, you know. Nah, this is how it is, whatever. So, you know, they shrugged it off, I guess. But the, because they were closer to the to the, the, the that working life, so they weren't they weren't disconnected by being in Florida. You know, they came in. Right. You know, well, John Martin then went over to do the same thing, basically at Cracked. Yeah, but with with like less exact, the exact same. Sure, thing, sure, so. but with way with way less success than he would. Yeah, have, and I'm yeah. sure. Oh, maybe, but I'm sure that you know they returned his art. Like, there's no way he would have gone. Like, no, no, no. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He left. You know, that's why he went he there. Had yeah, another thing to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
still cracked, you know. Uh, I don't know, you know, saying not as much success. I mean, cracked did okay. It know, did. Probably. It did okay, but it was. It wasn't. It was. And he was definitely gonna the star of cracked when he was in cracked. Sure, but sure. You can't think of any other like you know your favorite cracked. What are you saying? John Severin wasn't as famous as a. Oh, there we go. But John Severin also was a was a mad person. Oh, I don't think he was a mad person. I think he was. He was an EC person. Okay. But he, he must have up. he must have left Mad if he went to Crack Magazine. I'm gonna look over uh, Mad Magazine. Like I'm, to I'm the you know, he's gonna be he's gonna be in the early years with Kurtzman and stuff like that because he was. Yeah, with he's ECR. there. Yeah. Okay, but you know what? You click on him, and by gosh, he doesn't have a Wikipedia page. So <laughs> what am I gonna do? Come on, John Severin. Even Marie Severin has a his sister has a page. Yeah, and she should. Yeah, she's did a lot. Yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, well done, her. Oh man, some of her color, you know, like some of the coloring she'd like. I, I'm a real fan of the those Russ Cochran EC books that are just the black and white pages. But I have to admit, like, it's fun to see the pages if they're well done that can reproduce like her colors and stuff for those for those books because it's amazing some of the effects she did, especially in the Kurtzman books. Um, yeah, I'm a huge, I'm a huge uh, Maurice uh, Severin fan. There's one story that's by was drawn by Alex Toth. He didn't draw very much for for uh, EC for Kurtzman because he thought, thought Kurtzman was too controlling with his, the way he would do the layouts for you, and then you had to follow his layouts. Mm-hmm. But he did a jet fighter one for uh, one of the combat. You know, whether I think it was frontline combat, and it's kind of boring as a black and white story because it's very much it's very kind of very similar like to streaks in the sky and jets kind of it's sort of a dogfight thing with but with jets like a mig versus a whatever f11 or something and and then uh but when it was colored by marie severin oh my gosh it just brings it alive like it's just amazing and you can see like then you can see the purpose of the the design that that kurtzman was going for like how he did the layout and stuff like that it's amazing it's just amazing Oh, that's really cool. I mean, I love Alex Toth. I think he's just like one of the great, greatest uh, comic book sure. artists of all time. Like, in fact, someone on Twitter offered up a PDF of like some some Alex Toth collection, and I was just like, "Yes, please!" So I downloaded it and uh, I have it to go through. It's like 500 pages of, of Alex Toth. It's crazy. Oh, wait. So if you want it, let me know, and I'll I'll send you the 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 Dropbox uh, link. And if anyone else is interested, oh, please do, yeah. let me know and I will send you the Dropbox link because yes, I, I, I have would, it. I would very much appreciate it. <laughs> okay. I will. You can, you're, you're welcome um, to just, just back to the other thing. Yeah. Um, the, uh, so, so they did this study about the, the, the standups yeah. and, uh, and, and we're saying how, you know, uh, so many, like 39% of them, uh, passed away prematurely, mm-hmm. uh, you know, compared to dramatic actors or what have you. Yeah. And I feel it is that, what I feel is, is you were saying the stability. I think uh, taking that into account, I think it's the extremes. Yeah. You know, I think it's, I, I, I call it kind of like you're a glass uh, going from the fridge to the microwave constantly. Okay. And you're either having these incredible highs or yeah. just dizzy lows. Yeah. And, and, and that just, just, that's what messes you up. And so many of these comedians, you know, uh, commit suicide. Sure, and and this was something that Sarah Silverman was saying. And again, I don't want to like spoil a podcast over there, but she was going occasionally. She thinks, you know, when when people are like angry at her, I should probably buy a gun. And then she goes, I should not have a gun, you know, because <laughs> no, no one should have, have a gun. You have these lows, yeah, 
And like, if you have lows and access to a way of like killing yourself, uh, that's a bad combo for for standups. And uh, as you say, there's also the the drug element uh, to, to things. That's that is true. Uh, you know. Uh, but yeah, I think well, I think, but I think, I think, you know, I think it's less like even if they, yeah. because they say that the standups that are the funniest mm-hmm. are most successful uh, are more likely to kill themselves, and I think that's right because if you're consistently mm, like moderate, <laughs> yes. like yeah. then you're not getting the haha and then oh yeah, you know yeah yeah. Well, that's for I sure. That's the the thing that messes you up the most with that is yeah. uh, the inconsistency and the lack of stability mm-hmm. and not knowing what tomorrow will bring. And, uh, you know, yeah. and people either love you or actively feel, it seems like they hate you. <laughs> and that's so, oh, I don't think we can handle that. I just don't think we can handle that. No. Yeah. And, a- and both, both, of, both groups continually, uh, you know, write things that are funny, mm-hmm. you know, so that's good. Both of them have active minds. You know, I think it's very healthy to have something where you have to like always, well, you know, some standups just do the same material for forever and never never change yeah mad magazine you actually do have to know what's going on and yeah. and uh, you yeah. know uh, keep up with the times and read the newspaper when there was newspapers that's so, right there's a topical you know. topical element and then there's the parodies of things that are current you know like you know you can't you can't like continue to do like jokes about paul malls or whatever you know you have to like kind of update your material and hopefully not just go whatever the new thing is it's dumb because it's new yeah you, you got to find out what's specifically dumb about it and go and go with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you can do as well as a stand-up, if you're one of those stand-ups, you know, like the stand-ups I admire, <laughs> who are always evolving and changing and growing yeah. and what have you, but like so many, you know, don't. And uh, and then, yeah, it's just this, it's just brutal. So, you know, I'm look, looking at myself because I'm looking to get back into doing more performing. Uh-huh. Um, it's just like, okay, what's the healthiest way to go about this? And it's like, I think it is having a balance and knowing that there's some form of stability that you've got, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, here was a fun thing that happened today. I just want to just want to say okay. one thing before we move on from that. Which is, I just want to say, like, like I I agree with you, and I think that I was joking about the drugs because I think the drugs are more of a symptom than a than a first cause. You know what I mean? Like, I think what you're talking about is the drugs become like part of maintaining that high when yes. you don't have the the you know the audience giving you the high you have you can have something else give you that high right the problem is yeah you use it as a tool and then, it, it, and then the tool you, then you become then, the tool yeah yeah then you become the tool you use it yeah you should, hey if it's so smart why do they call it dope huh? <laughs> thanks for coming to our dare uh, um, I think, yeah, it's like it becomes its own thing that requires its own, you know, uh, demands of you. Yeah. And then you've got to, you know, keep doing that to just get to normal. And I think that's a big thing is like people are just uh, like comedians are chasing normal. Mm -hmm. They're chasing happy, but they're also really chasing normal. Yeah. I would put put myself in that category for sure. Sure. This is the, this is the trick. This is the, this is the thing. I'm just going to tell you this really fast. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me. Uh, today, uh, we looked at our bank account and went like, hey, where'd all the money go? Oh. And uh, it was this. It was like uh, one of us, I'm not going to say, one of us uh, accidentally moved a decimal place in our tax payment. And so it was way more of a tax payment than we should have paid. Um, but Ooh. they would just have happily have taken the money. Luckily, yeah. we did not have that amount of money in our bank account. And so things bounced and we got uh, what we had back. Okay. But it was just this thing of just like, oh my god, oh my god, just this one typo that would have severely fucked us up. Yeah, yeah. 
for like months. Severely, severely fucked us up on such an easy fucking thing to do. And that's the kind of thing that will drive me bananas <laughs> is, is knowing like, oh, you typed something up? Yeah, I'm just typing this thing up. Oh, where'd you put the period there? Oh, well, that means you're going to be killed. What? Oh, <laughs> you're right. Put it in the wrong spot. Everything goes, uh, yeah, you checked off murder me instead of do not murder me. Oh, crap. Why do they even have that on this Uber Eats? I don't know. It originally was run by the mom. to check off. Yeah, that was, uh, that was what it was. Okay, so anyway, that was my day where it was like, ah! And that was my... Um, but that, uh, that got fixed, and that was okay. Wow, I've never uh, I've I, never had something like that happen. You've never mo- uh, moved a decimal point by mistake? No, no. Yeah. Is, I mean, I have, but I've seen it. And stop, you know, like went, oh, I don't want to send $17,000, so let me just... <laughs> well, it was, part of, uh, it was part of our accountant uh, online saying, okay, you've got to fill out all of these different forms. Yeah. And so we're filling them all out, you know, uh, by remote because, you know, okay, yeah, yeah. we'll breathe on each other and we die now. So that's the world we live in. Anyway, death and taxes. Oh, and all one thing. That's great. <laughs> so we were doing it, and basically we filled out pages after pages after pages yeah. and on one of the pages we got the decimal and uh-huh. that's what and that's what uh, made this happen all of a sudden we're in brazil <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh, no. i'm sitting in a room with michael palin uh but uh, yeah so anyway, wearing a was, baby mask yeah that's the kind of stuff i don't need in my life mm-hmm. that's the kind of stuff i i would like to just like take that stuff out yeah it's, yeah uh, just like uh you know i want to i want to be able to be creative on a regular basis i want to be able to make stuff mm-hmm. i want to be able to have to research things i'd like to perform a bit but i don't want to be dependent on uh the reaction of the audience for uh my sense of self huh is that possible though like can you just be satisfied with you know, well, I did a good job. I thought I was funny. <laughs> I don't know. Like that's a hard that's a hard thing to do. Well, here's where it comes down to like I've done long runs on shows like like say uh, when we were in London doing uh, the Canadian content show there. Uh, because I had to do it every night. Yeah. If one night didn't work, uh, then it'd be like, oh well, we got tomorrow, so we'll fix the things that didn't work tonight. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow, and that's fine. But I think if you're doing like open mic nights or are you doing big shows and every show matters or, you know, now you're going to do your special and your special is the only thing people are going to see of you for like a year and a half to two years. You know, it's just like, you know, on whatever level you're at or the lowest where it's like open mic. And if you blow it, you're not going to get another open mic, you know, spot for a while because there's so many people at the bottom who want it. Or if you're at the top. And this is going to represent you solidly for like a year to two years at least. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't do well, it'll be like, well, that was it for them. There's other people. There's lots of people who replace you. I could see how it, you would, uh, you know, be a, be a freaking mess. But if you could like have something regular that you, you know, was, uh, okay, well, I'm doing this tomorrow night. So yeah, moving on. <laughs> you know, it's okay. I'm not. I get how this goes. I get so it all it all matters, but you don't. Uh, it, it's not life and death. Well, yeah, and I think I think it is helpful that you are going home to Pia. You're not going home to an empty hotel room. Yeah, the, the empty hotel room is rough mm-hmm. for sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I looked at the. You know, when you see that uh, documentary comedian speaking of Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. It's the. Uh, it seems like such a decadent thing of like. 
He's got a private. He's flying in on the private jet, yeah. which I, I send, you know, uh, into the show and does his shows and then gets in the jet and then goes home. Yeah. But it's like, oh, but you can go home. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> and I think to most people, the idea of like you get to stay in a hotel room, like, ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And like, have you had hotel food? <laughs> the best thing is the burger, and it's not good. <laughs> and it's the best thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like by far. Yeah. Uh, it'll mess you up. No, you're right. You're right. Uh, thing I was going to say, and I forgot. Doesn't matter. No, nah, you'll probably get it back. Nope. It was, Are you sure? It was totally, totally, um, you know, part of this conversation. And now I just, when you started talking about Jerry Seinfeld, I. Went out of my head for some reason. Oh well. Oh uh, well. I, well, I apologize. Then. No, no, it's uh, not. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Yeah. So, 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 yeah. It's like I think. I think what it comes down to, at least for me, is all right. I got to find a balance here. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, uh, when I think of like doing stand up, which I really am interested in doing, the idea of like, okay, well, how long are you going to tour for? Oh, geez. Like that's just that just sounds awful. It's yeah. like what, like a couple of weeks. Ugh. It's just like, I don't want to be in hotel rooms for that amount of time. So it's like, how can I do that without doing that? What's the, what's the alternative? Mm-hmm. And there must be, there must be one that, uh, that I'll be able to figure out. <sighs> but, uh, but yeah, it's like <laughs> the tradition, the traditional route just is not uh, interesting to me. You know, I like, I like doing open mics. I like doing small shows. I like doing little festivals. I like doing that kind of stuff. That's all great. Um, but uh, but you know, let go on tour up through the interior of BC. I, I did that when I was younger, and I'm done with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's that's not that's not a healthy. Uh, you know, it's kind of the that's kind of the 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 kind of living example of why comedians. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're just like in one unhealthy situation after another. Yeah, and the yeah. comedians that were doing the horrific material uh, were succeeding quite well. You mm-hmm. know, basically doing street jokes are just like really. Yeah, you know, yeah. Stuff that you'd look at and go, Jesus. Uh, or, but it kills because it's in a pub and it's you know it's what it's what they want and sure. it's fine. And nothing against the people in the in the in the bar because they're there to drink and they're there to live their lives in their town. And I'm just a visitor that just showed up. <laughs> who you would think like, well, you got an invitation uh, because people like a comedy night. No, and as as I've explained in another show, the reason for that is. Uh, they have to have some sort of entertainment uh, in a month so that they can, by law, extend their hours, call themselves like a variety venue. Uh, and so you can drink until two instead of drink until midnight, which is like, you know, so much money a month. So they hire comedians because we're the cheapest thing and take up the least amount of space. And so they set up a microphone in front of the dartboard or whatever. It doesn't fucking matter. Just burn <laughs> An hour and a half, yeah. you know, a week or an hour and a half a month. And, and they now can tick a box and say, we're a variety venue, da, da, da. But your act doesn't fucking matter at all. You're not there to entertain. Yeah. You're there to kill time and fulfill a legal obligation. <laughs> and if you're funny, that's great. And if you're not, who fucking cares? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, there you go. And I didn't realize that that was the case. I thought like, oh. They must want this entertainment, and that's why they booked us. And of course, they didn't. You were just the, you know, because they couldn't do karaoke. You're just meat. You're just, yeah. You're just there again, just to yeah. just be a little barking dog <laughs> until you know. Ah, it's a barking dog for an hour and a half. Now we get a tax break. Yeah, that's a pretty deflating uh, situation for sure. Yeah, I don't. I think I. I don't. Well, I know I couldn't take that. I just. I don't have the. Uh, I don't have the. Uh, the confidence in my in my own self to to. Uh, 
to la- out- outlast that, <laughs> that well, kind of... Well, that was also back when I was uh, trying to please the audience, and it sounds like that's a thing you should be trying to do. Yeah. Uh, but you shouldn't, yeah. really. Yeah. Uh, it's like uh, there's this interview with Trevor Noah I really like where, uh, and I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show before, where he was talking to Dave Chappelle okay. about, like, why did you book me as your opening act? There's so many funnier comedians. <laughs> and he went like, oh, but you're interesting. Your story is interesting. Mm. There's a lot of funny guys out there. Funny guys are a dime a dozen. Uh, but uh, interesting is uh, different. Huh. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then that woke something up in me, too, where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Try, just try to be interesting. Tell your story. What's your take on things? Yeah. You know, that's, and if nothing else, you know, something that I wasn't even noticing when I was doing shows was people would talk to me afterwards about the subjects that I was talking about. And I'd be thinking, man, that didn't go. But I'm like, wait, there, all these people are talking to me. Oh, wait, that's something. Wait, what is that? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, shit. Interesting is more important than funny. Funny is necessary, but interesting is something unique. It's like, oh, all right. Which, you know, I think might be, you know, the same thing with podcasts. Yeah. Are you saying we're unique? <laughs> I'm, I'm saying that there's so many podcasts there <laughs> where, you know, the stereotype is like us, uh, two guys uh, and often guys. Uh, talking yeah. and just like shooting the shit. But the mm. ones that I see fall away are the ones where they're really trying. And I think with you and me, if I'm coming up to our 500th episode and going like, why are people listening? <laughs> it's I think one we come across as, I hope, sincere. Like if you, if you yeah. uh, have dinner with us after the show, you don't go, jeez. <laughs> Radically different people. <laughs> no, I remember one time Mary having dinner with us because she had come to meet me and we were, I was driving her home or something. And then, uh, or it might have been when, when, when she, because she was on uh, um, Full Marks on the yeah. monkey business. One of those what times anyway. And we were driving home and she said, well, that was like my own private Sneaky Dragon episode. And I was like, yeah, I guess it's, I guess the conversation is pretty much exactly the same with whether we're in front of the mics or not in front of the mics. Yeah, it's, uh... it's what we think's interest. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. We haven't really, I mean, I lightly planned this thing about, you know, why do Mad Magazine, uh, you know, uh, comic folk, you yeah. know, live longer than stand ups? And so that was something to be. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, uh, you know, we start talking and it's just what we're interested in. And I think when you're listening to people who are interested in what they're talking about, mm-hmm. That's generally interesting. There's something, there's something about that yeah. that's uh, unique, and it's 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 the opposite often of a talk show mm-hmm. where you can where you completely can tell they're setting up a story, they're paying off a story. Yeah, they're yeah. setting up a bit. Yeah, they're paying off a bit. They're setting up a clip. They're paying off a clip. And it's and the most interesting things are of course when they deviate and something just takes hold and flies off on its own accord. Yeah, and you're like, oh. What's that? Well, what's that? Yeah. That's, uh, that's something. Well, maybe that, I mean, I mean, I don't want to keep going on about David Letterman, but just thinking, you know, maybe that's what's interesting to me about the early David Letterman with some of the, with a guest like Sandra Bernhard, where he is genuinely interested in her. Yes. Because it's someone that he knew, you know, she was a waitress in the, at the comedy store. She was a person who went up on stage and started to express herself at the comedy store. And he was there for that. And so he genuinely likes her. And when she's on the show, he's, he's really into it, you know? And you can see that. That's what makes those, those, um, you know, appearances fun to watch, you know, even, even looking back at them. And I wonder, you know, I don't, like I say, I haven't really watched the later. I don't know. I don't even know if she would came on the late, on the late show. Uh, I don't know. I don't know either. But it would have been different because it would have definitely been, it would have been different. A lot of uh, prep. Yeah. And you, you, 
definitely going to talk about. Yeah. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. Maybe it'll deviate a bit. You're not going to. Yeah. Yeah. Almost all deviation mm-hmm. when it was, uh, you know, the uh, the old Letterman show. Like, yeah. You, yeah. You, you could tell that the uh, that the uh, guest was uh, off balance, which is <laughs> what, huh? Yeah. You know, and 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 they were alert. Like I, I got to watch what I say. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and when and when they laughed, it was a genuine laugh. Yeah. Because it was like it was actually unexpected stuff that was going on. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Like there's one appearance with Sandra Bernhardt where she just stands up by the desk and sings into the overhead mic sings a song and like sings like a full song just standing there and sure. paul, and paul plays like plays along with her like you know accompanies her while she sings so obviously it was planned a little bit but it's not planned that she walks out and goes to a mic at center stage and sings she just pops up in the air and starts singing during the middle of this interview you know so yeah it's like or that. like stunning share on the show and like shares uh, of course got a you know, a kind of adversarial but fun yeah. relationship with David. Yeah. Uh, Sonny Bono comes on and they start playing I Got You Babe and she's, I'm not doing this. <laughs> and then she's realizing, I should do this. And so they go up and they sing it and it's charming as fuck and you can tell, yeah. you know, he knew this was coming. Yeah. But she didn't. Hmm. And yeah, it's like, this is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, seen them sing this a million times but you've never seen them sing it now and not when she want, didn't want to really but then she does and it's sweet and you yeah. can tell that you know they've still got affection for each other mm-hmm. and it's really beautiful and when you know Sunny Bono passed they often would like show that clip on like newsreels mm. of, you know as he did interesting I don't think I've ever seen that I should or don't oh, remember it anyway sweet. I don't remember it yeah just look up Sunny and Cher on Letterman because once again you know when I was a kid we we didn't have a VCR for the for the early days of David Letterman, so if I missed a show, I missed a show forever, and it wasn't always easy to, to a to stay awake because I had to go to bed at eleven. Like I wasn't, I even on Friday nights my bedtime was eleven, so I'd have to go to bed, stay awake until twelve twelve twenty ish, and then I'd have to creep down the stairs, missing that fifth step because that squeaked, <laughs> and go down into the family room and close the door and then listen very quietly to to you know to whatever. Dave Letterman or SCTV or whatever, you know, because I wasn't wasn't supposed to be up. I was sneaking around, sneaky. Yeah, it was always a big thing when uh, Letterman would have the uh, best of shows, like anniversary show, mm-hmm. and just show you like all these clips, from yeah, past episodes. Like you remember a lot of them, but you remember all of them. See all the good stuff. I gotta take this and uh, <laughs> today ability. Well, it was great when he was leaving. When he was leaving um, NBC, and they played like a whole run of the early shows, or maybe that was on something else. Like it was on, what did it, did they show it on TLC or something? Like it was on, I'm some, not sure. it was on some kind of other cable channel. And they like played like the first full year of David Letterman. And like, so there were shows I'd never seen because I, you know, I couldn't always watch them. You know, I had school those nights and things. I couldn't stay up super late. And, and there was like one with REM, like very early on, like first album REM, like doing murmur songs from murmur or whatever. And they did like three songs in the show, like interspersed throughout the show, which I, I'd never seen before or since in that format of the show. Because usually the band was at the end, and then, you know, that would be the end of the show. They'd kind of, you know, he, David, everyone come out and shake, you know, three of the five band members and then walk away, and then, which was always strange. And then the, the band would play off, and then that would be the end of the show. And so then you, uh, you know, that was what I was used to. So seeing this REM one where they like play several songs. <laughs> We're just like, whoa, this is different. Do they really like this band? And we're like, you guys are great. We're gonna, we're just gonna have you guys play a bunch of songs in this episode. Yeah, it's weird. So I just remember that. But yeah, I'm not sure if that was on A and E or something. Hmm. 
Anyway, it was kind of great to see all those old shows. Neat. Neat indeed. If only I had thought to tape them all, which I didn't, because I would tape things and then tape over things. <laughs> or sometimes I would tape things, and I would fill a whole v, uh, v, uh, VHS tape with, with uh, shows, and then I would give them to a friend of mine who didn't have a television, and he would watch them, and he just loved that. So we just have, like, movies and bits of shows and stuff that I just taped and then I just, you know, it'd be like eight hours of stuff, like taped at the lowest uh, quality, and then I just give it to him. And he just thought it was fantastic. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Here's a, here's something uh, out of, uh, not out of nowhere. It's, there's a reason, obviously, I'm bringing it up. Okay. Um, uh, but uh, a fellow he passed away today. Who did, sorry? Uh, John Paragon. Is this who you're talking about? Uh, no, I don't know who you're... <clears throat> okay. Uh, John Paragon passed away. He was uh, probably best known for being Zombie on uh, Pee-wee's uh, Playhouse, who was the genie in the box. Okay. Who would grant wishes. Okay. Um, and he was a big part of the improv scene that uh, launched you know, a lot of the groundlings. Like he I was going to say, I think he was a groundling, wasn't he? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Cassandra Peterson, Elvira, and of course, uh, um, Paul Rubens. Yeah. And uh, I had never seen this special. People put put up uh, you know, this YouTube special of his called The Paragon of Comedy. Okay. And it's from 1983. And dear Lord, it's from 1983. <laughs> it's so 1983. And I'm not sure where it aired, but I'm sure it must have been on cable. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, it's just, it's really, really interesting. Hmm. I'm going to send you a link to it. Please do. And, uh, and it's well worth a watch. Pee Wee's on it. Does a, well, he does a sketch where he's a fat guy and the other guy's a fat guy. And they're both. Uh, talking fat guy stuff. Okay. And he's going like, well, that's not any good. But it's hilarious. It's just weird and bizarre. <laughs> it starts off with him like coming out and, and asking for like four styles of music and then uh, asks for, you know, two things from the audience and suggestions and then sings songs in those styles, Wayne Brady style. Yeah. And, you know, nowadays you look on and just go, he had a bit of a loaded bag of tricks that he could slip a lot of stuff in. Yeah. I get that. Yeah, yeah. But it's still really amazing. And then, you know, has Elvira on the dating game and just as all these other crazy banana sketches that you would do only in 1983. It all makes sense in 1983. Sure, sure. And you gotta, you got to see it. It's called The Paragon of Comedy. Does it all work? Fuck no. Mm. But does he give it 100% every time? My lord, he does. There's this lounge singer uh, or nightclub singer thing he does with uh, some showgirls, and it's all just songs about how much he loves boobs. That's 80, is, that is 83. You're right. And he's kind of, he's kind of an effeminate guy, uh, so it's a bit distance, but just describing <laughs> how much he really enjoys breasts. Just, it's more it's it's more that. aesthetic than passion is what you're saying yeah it's uh again <laughs> i will send you a link and uh you'll tell me what you what you think well, sounds sounds fantastic yeah, i think it, it would be a kind of thing that you'd uh, you might maybe i don't know enjoy uh, <laughs> or at least fast forward to Wee herman doing his uh stand-up and go like ah that's nice. that'd be cool see didn't Wee herman appear on the gong show that is a good question i would uh, assume so it feels like it feels not? like it drew from a lot of those people for that for the for the kind of the sort of fixed they had like a lot of like you know ringers in in that show. Yeah, I would say. I mean, I really got to know him on Letterman. Yes, me too. Yeah. Oh, yes, he was on the Gong Show, but he was not on the Gong Show. I think as Pee Wee Herman. No, no, I, he just played like he just they yeah, created he like a, a he created like different kind of acts and you know. He, yes, he did. Yeah. Yeah. Super talented guy. You know. 
I am going to agree, and I think he still is. And I, I said he's a super that, talented guy. I didn't say he was a super. Did I say he was? A, I don't know. I can't remember now. <laughs> Let's play the tape back. Arthur, he's a bean. And I say we let him go. Wait a second. That was that voice from the Pee Wee movie. See? Good reference. Um, but I want to see the adult Pee Wee movie that he keeps talking about. I want to see that one. That was uh, always floating around. Yeah. Always talking it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And let me throw out, uh, hey, if you guys haven't seen Big Top Peewee, go see Big Top Peewee. It's okay. I actually prefer that, the, the new version. Yeah, I'll give you that. I like, but that, enough, I like that better than Big Top. Big Top Peewee, I think that's, uh, that's uh, yeah, that's, uh, it's still, give it a watch again. See if you don't enjoy it. There's some yeah. there's some fun stuff in there. I just thought that the romance part of it kind of kind of wrecked the char- the wrecked the character in a bit. I did like him throwing himself on top of Lee. <laughs> Where it looked like it was going to be a romantic. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Wayne White as the pig cracks me up. <laughs> no, it's got some good stuff in it. I'm not I'm not saying it's a complete. Oh, okay. Big big thumbs down for Dave, <laughs> but I say yes. <laughs> but I do agree. The most recent. Uh, Pee Wee movie was better. I mean, the problem is, is like Pee Wee's Big Adventure is such. It's like the, one of the perfect movies. It's also a movie that was that did the exact right thing, which is like it's something you like, but much better than you expected. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and it constantly surprised you and delighted you. Yeah, yeah. Because you had not seen Tim Burton's Bag of Tricks. No, no, you hadn't so seen combining these two together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, I saw it in a, at, a, at a sneak preview as well, so I didn't even know what the heck I was seeing. I, I it, it played before Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome when I saw it, and and believe me, Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome it paled in comparison to uh, to that film. Back in the Thunderdome with you, you said. <laughs> Two Although films having enter, one film leaves, it's not you. <laughs> <laughs> having uh, seen, having heard more, like a kind of a documentary, not a documentary, but a podcast about the making of Thunderdome, it made more sense why it didn't quite work out. So I. I forgive that film now. Uh, it looked like Tina Turner was going to be doing a lot more acting after that. Did not happen. People still love Tina Turner, but uh, that was the end of the acting. Well, she was in a bit of a dead, so that might have poisoned it for her. I don't know. Could it could have been, but uh, you know, there was just this. Pe- but still, look, people love Tina Turner. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> She's great. She's great. Dave, stop putting down Tina Turner. <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant. She's grating. Oh my god. She. She sang one of my favorite songs of all time. Oh, uh, okay. Tell me what that was. Uh, River Deep, Mountain High, the uh, Phil Spector produced. Failure at the time, but amazing song. Amazing song. Uh, I also remember, like, uh, the time, like, people went, like, and look at her. Look at her dance. And you know what? She's 40. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. Can you think of an older age than 40? <laughs> it's lucky she uh, didn't need a cane. Yeah. 40 years. Old. That is ten years younger than Paul Rudd. Yeah, that is uh, oh boy, good for her. I was reading an article about Prince today. A few, a few articles in a music magazine that they are celebrating a, a, a new release from from Prince's vaults, an album, okay. an album that was made but it was never released at the time. It's coming to America, I think it's called. And uh, and so uh, there, there's a story in there from a guy who wrote a a biography of Prince who contacted Prince just to let him know he was writing this biography. And he said, I kind of expected a, you know, sort of a cease and desist order or something like that. But he said, instead I got this invite to these exclusive concerts at, that at the time he was putting on in this house, he was renting in the Hollywood Hills, which he was renting from a basketball player. I think Carlos Boozer was his name, but 
but uh, he was paying forty-eight thousand dollars a month to live to stay in this, uh, you know, Hollywood Hills dig, and so he turned the living room of this this mansion into a kind of a club, and he would invite both the great and the not so great to to this, you know, uh, every night he put on like this show. And you could come and watch him play songs and jam and have fun, whatever. And he's right there in his living room. You're you're watching Prince, so so uh, it's like it's like his old club days or whatever. So he he was saying like, but in the in this story, he was saying, I later saw Prince performing, and he would have to do some sneaky things. He had a teleprompter with the lyrics on it. He would mm. surreptitiously go off to the side of the stage and drink some water. But he wouldn't want to show people that he was doing these things because they were signs of weakness that he, you know, it what because, you know, then he said, but when I saw him doing these shows, they were called the 3121 shows because that was the address where he was staying. Um, when he was doing these shows, that was really when he was superhuman and could play for hours without end, you know, and could really like just have this, he had this energy level that was unstoppable, you know. Uh, and I just thought that was very interesting, you know, just that, that idea of, of the aging performer, you know, like who you know, has to maintain that, that illusion of unstoppable, you know, amazing talent, you know, and, and someone like Prince, of course, whose religious beliefs made it very hard for him to, to heal himself from, from the, the damage that doing all of those things every night, I can't, I can't even imagine like how his body felt, you know, doing splits, you know, for years and years. And all the other things that he did, all the other dance moves that he did as part of his act every night while wearing high heel, you know, boots. And then, and also, you know, it's like, he just must have been in constant agony. Like, it's no wonder his, he was, uh, you know, taking prescription painkillers because, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't have hip surgery because that is, he was Jehovah Witness. And to do that would have required uh, blood, blood work. Yeah. And so he turned to the next best thing, which was painkillers, which, you know what? Work really well for a very short time, and then they're not so yeah. helpful. So, so yes, it's terrible. Let's all blame Larry Graham. That's okay. right. All right. If you want to blame Larry Graham, uh, I'm going go to, to sneakydragon.com <laughs> and uh, blame we'll have a we'll have a little thing. We'll have a little thing there. You can like check a yes in. We'll just say I yes, Dave. I blame Larry Graham too. And then underneath, do you think I'm cute? <laughs> <laughs> I expect the Larry Graham question to get more more yeses than that question. Um, uh, we'll we'll get into uh, uh, dark shadows and. and well, we can't. Okay. Sorry, we can't this week because okay. I, I, I once again I'm so busy, That's so fun. crazy busy right now. So I just you know when I have time I can do it. When I don't have time, and this week it was listening party week. I don't know if you've heard of listening party. It's a podcast I do with my daughter Mary. Why don't you, why don't you tell us about listening party? Sure. Uh, Let me tell you. Let me tell you a couple things about listening party. First, it's a it's a it's a show I do with my daughter, Mary, who's a wonderful person and a lot of fun to talk to. And so it's been a joy doing this show for the last two years. We are heading into the final episodes and we're both a little sad, but also, you know, that kind of feeling like, ah, we're done. This is great. Um, and job well done. Let's pat ourselves on the back. And so it's been a lot of fun. We, uh, we're doing the final mixtape, which I had a friend write and, and send me some CDRs. And he said, uh, he wanted one that was a bossa nova one. He said, mm. and, and I said to myself, well, I don't know bossa nova. I said, I'm going to give him a bunch of Brazilian rock music from the late sixties. That's what's going to, he's going to get. So that's what he got. Did he like it? As I said, on the website shrug. So, um, <laughs> so, uh, 
it's it's been fun though. Like we had a lot of fun doing the show, and there's some there's some good good stuff in there. But what is also great, and so I'm going to say this on on Sneaky Dragon as well, because you know Chris Roberts, he writes quite commonly to the show. Sure. And for episode, I believe for episode 300, he wrote a song called "When Sneaky Dragons Fly." Beautiful song. And it was great. It was so so great. He wrote a song about uh, Sparks. He wrote a song for Sparks as well. In our book, uh, not the band. <laughs> the I say this all the time now. I know. Here's Not a band that for the longer, like, like they the were band. very popular. They were very popular when I was young in the in the early '80s. They had like kind of a revival. You know, they were very popular in the early '70s. You know. From Kimono My House, and you know this this town's not big enough for the both of us. And you know in England they were really big, and then they had like a kind of revival in the late late seventies, early eighties, and then then they went like then they went away again, and like no one no one had to be bothered by them. But now there's this documentary coming about them, and now and now people are going to be coming up to me. They're going to be going like, Dave, I saw this documentary about this band that you might like. They're called Sparks. I don't know if you heard of them. And I'll be like, Yes, I've been listening to them for years. Thank you for that advice. Well, here's the other thing. It's like, <laughs> as you know, you and I and Nina Matsumoto yeah. do a book series called Sparks. Yes. And when, when Nina and I first came up with the book series, yeah. uh, we, we, we took you to dinner and said, Dave, as we always do with projects that, yeah. we, that we do, yeah. um, are you sure there's no bands with this title? Yeah. Because we just want to make sure that we don't in any way, mm-hmm. um, you know, have any problems down the line yeah. with like the thing. And, and you went like, we need Sparks. Uh, yeah, is there any bands called Sparks? And you went, hmm. And you never finished that sentence. Then we <laughs> ate, and I assumed that there wasn't because you never finished the sentence. Yeah. But uh, and now we're uh, coming up on our third book that's sure. being released, sure. February first, two thousand and twenty-two. Yeah. Uh, Sparks Future Perfect. Currently, there's one out. Uh, Sparks uh, Double Dog Dare, and of course, the original book Sparks. Uh, both of those best sellers. Sure. Um, uh, and now you're telling me that there's a band called Sparks. Yeah, yeah. What what the hell, man? Well, here's the thing. I mean, I thought this was my thought at the time when I said hum was, oh, well, they seem to like this title a lot. I don't want to disappoint them. You know, Sparks just put in an album called The Life of Ingmar Bergman. Is that really going to get them out of obscurity? Probably not. They're probably going to be kind of a very, you know, kind of minimal interest band for the rest of their career. So, you know what, guys? It's all clear. Don't worry about it. I can't see Edgar Wright, popular director, ever making a documentary about these obscure brothers from L.A. Don't worry about it. So anyway, might have, I might have been a bit, should have been a bit more clear when I... What really bothers me is I briefly met Edgar Wright uh, at uh, you know one of the premieres of uh, Shaun of the Dead. And, yeah. uh, he said to me, uh, Simon, we got to go. And Simon Pegg had to leave. Um, I feel like at that time, yeah. I should have said to him, listen, in the far future, mm-hmm. I may do a book called Sparks with my yeah. friend David Hedrick and, and uh, Nina Matsumoto. Yeah. Uh, could you not do a documentary about them that they're popular? <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but I, I missed that opportunity. Yeah. And then, of course, we went to see Hot Fuzz in, in Seattle, and he was there again. And we should have said something then, but we didn't. And uh, Yeah. Again, opportunity missed. Here's the thing. I, you know what? I know Sparks music quite well, and I'm going to tell you right now that they'll they'll slide back into obscurity. Don't don't worry about it. They're not they're not going to they're not chasing any they're not chasing the dollars. So, so don't worry about it. They're fine. Oh, they they have a musical coming out though on on Broadway. Oh, do you know what the musical's called? If it's called I, Double Dog Dare. I'm going to be so fucking mad. <laughs> don't oh. worry. It's called Future Perfect. It's fine. Mm, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> Should have done a spit take. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll add it in with sound, sound effects. Please do. <laughs> I'll just make it go like. <laughs> yeah, if you could all then uh, just put on the sound effect of a lawn sprinkler <laughs> and like run that for run that for like two minutes. But David, why I'm bringing... Uh, but let me just Ron- finish my story. Let me just finish my story. Oh, my God. It seemed like you were done. Okay. No, no, because you interrupted me. That's what I was done. But I'm oh, like, very good. Let me, so let, much. Let, okay, well, you interrupted me, so you know, tip for tap. So um, uh, I just wanted to say that So uh, Chris wrote a song for Sneaky for Sneaky oh. Dragon Listening Party. Oh, I'm so sorry. Called yes. The Ballad of Sneaky Dragon Listening Party, which he kindly uh, created a video for. And so I'm going to... You know, I'm going to impose on Sneaky Dragon listeners, and uh, and I'll put it on this this week's uh, show on in the in the, sh- the show notes, and so you can uh, check it out if you're interested. It's a good ad for for listening party, and if you and it's really if it's you're on a, the fence, you know what's that? Sorry, it's very sweet. I really love that he put us laughing at the end of it. <laughs> that's that's the part that just like kind of brought a little tear to my my eye when I was just, I watched it with Mary. Like I hadn't watched it. I just I got the email from from Chris, and I just went. I you know I went and. Uh, Said, Mary, we gotta watch this. So we, we watched it, and yes, I was very, very touched by it. It's great. It's great. Full of in jokes, which makes it even, <laughs> even better. So yeah, if you're interested, check out the website and check out Listening Party. There. End of ad. All right. What were we gonna say? What were we gonna say before I interrupted you interrupting me? Oh, I was going to interrupt you and say <laughs> um, that because I guess we're gonna we're gonna move on then to uh, letters, but uh, this ca- this counts as both. Because uh, our friend Laurel Robertson wrote in uh, with with something Dark Shadows related, or Dork Shadows is our segment. But was this a, was this a comment on the on the website? This is. Uh, let me tell you what. I'm just going to read it out loud as we do. Um, she wrote in to our email. Uh, oh. Hello, dear David. Oh, so you're going to read the email? Okay. I'm going to read the email just because it's in front of me, and it was it was uh, <laughs> it, con- it was connecting to a lead into the thing that's not going to happen. So I've got it here anyway. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. I'm sure people. I'm. You know what? I'm sure there's people out there who are like, "Ugh, the Dark Shadows recap." Ugh. So this is this is your week, everyone. Uh, she's saying that uh, after some uh, nice things about uh, things. Um, uh, she's saying a couple of weeks ago on This American Life, uh, I, uh, there was an episode called Conventions. Yeah. And the first act is about a guy who loves dark shadows and goes to a dark shadows convention. Yeah. It's a really good story and mentions some funny details about the show. If you get a chance, give it a listen. Uh, I've not uh, thought much of it if uh, if I didn't have dork shadows on the brain. <laughs> and maybe I've written this in time to beat the Sneaky Dragon recording deadline. I hope so. You did. You did. Oh, you did indeed. And then she uh, gives us the link in a follow-up uh, email. I will post that on the website. Link it up. That's what we say. Link it up. <laughs> uh, are you comfortable with me going towards letters, David? Sure, but you didn't read her whole email. I didn't. That's true. All right. Let's read the whole email then. Yeah. Uh, the beginning part was, I don't have much to offer this week just because I've had a lot of company visiting and not much time to think, let alone write. But I have mentioned to listen. Manage, uh, manage. managed to listen. Usually uh, late nights when I'm uh, doing up all the dishes. And of course, I'm always laughing my head off in my little kitchen by myself as I do. And I'm sneaking, get it, sneaking in a note in case you and the other sneakers have not heard about this. So yes. There we go. 
Yeah, I just I like. Just gonna I liked her. I liked her. I liked her little reference to sneaking. So I just wanted. To, I agree with you. Wanted to acknowledge that. 100%. So last week uh, we asked her. Thank you, question. Laurel. By the way, thank you so much for sending that. I'm very curious. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm interrupting everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's just hard because we can't see each other. So you know, like when we're together, we can see when the other person's going to say something. But yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going to say like if I screw up a word. Yeah. Give it five seconds. <laughs> Sorry, I may correct myself if I do right. not happily come in come in with the with the correction. Please do. I'm, you know what? I'm not even going to look at the letters. So no, it's okay. You, you, sometimes you come across as the voice in my head. That's, that's just like, <laughs> no, well, I'm wanna... very uh, harpy, happy to be. Oh God, calm me down I'm in my head, you brain. I don't want to be um, a nudge. All right, question of the. Well, by the way. Mm-hmm. You're right. We're in different locations, but that will not always be the case. No, because uh, we're coming up our 500th episode, and as you know, 500 is the number of the unification, according to <laughs> the grand theory of podcastification unification. Uh, okay, wow. Which we are both deep believers in. <laughs> Apparently, I didn't and know. We'll it. be releasing our themes, uh, and then which will then allow us to uh, rejoin yeah. uh, and look each other in the face. Possibly at a distance, but in the face. Uh, and for our 500th episode, we will uh, do our damnedest to be in the same room. Cool, cool. Well, you know what? I've been uh, I'm double dosed. Congratulations. Thank you. Can Thank I you. ask what your second dose was? Uh, Pfizer. Yeah, they say they recommend that you mix it actually. So. Yep. So that that was kind of nice, and and uh, once again, hit me a little hard. So. Oh, okay. All my right. body, okay. my body just does not enjoy vaccines. Take it easy tonight, then please do. It's okay. I've already, I already, I'm working on three hours sleep, so it's fine. I'm all good. Oh boy. What's weird? Let me just say before you start reading. Is what weird is sure. like you know when I say that you're probably thinking, oh my god, he must feel like terrible, and he must be like so tired. But I don't feel that way. I feel like great. <laughs> I don't know when I was like you know when I was getting I stayed up late because I wanted to get listening party up on time on time in quotation marks. Uh, you know, so I was up till three thirty. And I, I wrote to Chris, actually, to make sure it was okay for me to put the audio of his song into the listening party about 2.30 in the morning. And he wrote back and said, oh, that's fine. That's great. And then he said, by the way, shouldn't you be asleep? <laughs> yes, I should, but I'm not. So, um, but it's weird. So, you know, I expect, like, th- so I thought, oh, man, it's going to be an awful day. I'm going to get up, it's, you know, 6.30 in the morning, and I, I'm going to, like, just drag my ass all through the workday. And then I'm going to get home. I'm gonna be so tired, and then I'm gonna do the podcast. I'm gonna be falling asleep, but uh, it's weird. Like, I, you know, I was like super busy at work all day because we were expecting uh, our big boss to come in, and so we're like cleaning stuff up because we've just been like we're understaffed and we've been so crazy busy that we just have no time to like do our normal level of like clean cleaning thing. You know, just making sure everything's put away and uncluttered and clean and and stuff. And so the last couple of days, it's just I've just been like putting stuff away like crazy and restocking things and getting stuff out of the way and moving stuff around. And so I did that all today. And then I came home and then I drove to Ikea with Mary and picked up the, the shelf she was interested in. And I came home and then I'm doing the podcast and I just feel great. It's so weird. I thought I'd feel terrible. But so I think from now on, I'm just going to get three hours sleep every day. Sounds good. That's one less than Batman. <laughs> one less what? One less than Batman. Batman gets four hours sleep at night. Yeah. So he's fine. Yeah. He's not psychotic or have any other pro- other issues so yeah no, I think... he's got no other issues and no one's talking about any of them this week yeah so it's all good so i think i think it's great i think this is my new plan i'm gonna write a book called three hours of power 
I was thought they were going to write one called "I'm Fine." What's your problem? <laughs> That's right. Can't you see that monster? So <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be called. <laughs> yeah. Who else has a hag on their chest? <laughs> Aside from that, things are fine. Things are fine. An alien. All right. So uh, you may you may continue. I bet I won't. Okay, here we go. Uh, the question of the week last week was, uh, what's something you really enjoyed as a kid, but no one seems to remember now? Sub-question. What is something you would eat in a submarine? Wait, that's... No, that's it. Uh, what is something promoted as being for children that is clearly not for children? Here we go. And uh, it was what was great was that we got an explanation of my confusion. So, so let's read on. Read All right. On. And, and you're welcome to correct me at any point. I'm fine. Um, no, I'm not even uh, looking at them. So it's, 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 all, it's all on you now. Uh, Jonathan Bampton writes, uh, what is something being uh, promoted as being for Wait, children? Sorry, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I just got to say this because you said Jonathan Bampton, two-time winner of Sneaky Dragon li- uh, listeners' questions show. Fix. <laughs> what is something promoted as yep. being for children yep. that is clearly not for children? Jessica Rabbit, not for children. I would agree with that. I, I, I would, I would, I would question, I question the like presence of Toontown at, at Disneyland as, oh. as something that promotes that movie as for being for children. It's not a children's movie. There's also, okay, and this is tough to work your way around, but there is a racial slur that is a rhyming word that is what they are saying in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, well, then you don't name something like that at your park. It's a parody. <laughs> but it's great because all the all the houses are alive and having fun, and everything's there's it's all interactive and great. Okay, go on. I was just looking uh, at uh, Jessica Rabbit's uh, Wikipedia page because um, oh. I was curious what her maiden name was. If it was some uh, play on her voluptuousness, and uh, she does not have a maiden name listed. Jessica Walter. That's uh, that's uh, that's that's nothing. That's garbage. <laughs> Take it to Toontown. That's that's garbage. Okay. Uh, now uh, the next letter comes from Louise, and I have to say that I had a lovely visit with Louise, uh, at our at our place, me and my wife and Louise. Nice. And uh, and she presented us with uh, she tr- she she won um, a I forget the specific category, but a, a restaurant called the Pie Hole. Yes. Famous for its pies, right now being frequented quite a lot by James Gunn, who is Instagramming and talking about the pie hole. Uh, but they had a contest, Design yep. Your Own Green Pie. And uh, and Louise uh, did one called Let's, Let's Be Friends. It was honey and chocolate. And, uh, oh, my gosh, so tasty. And she, and she made one. She was not satisfied with the pie that she but she went, uh, it still tastes good. I'm going to bring some over to you guys. And we went, yuck. And so she did. And uh, delicious. Oh, great. Um, uh, uh, my sister-in-law Vicky just got a slice of it and said, "Amazing!" <laughs> so, uh, so thank you, Louise, for pie. And uh, now on to your letter. Well, uh, Louise, I've made a lot of pies for you. A lot of pies. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> um, uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland is considered a children's book, but clearly, it's only adults that are really into it these days, and then only a certain type of adult who wants to analyze it, adapt it, reinterpret it, get stoned with it. Or look clever by alluding to it. All the nonsense and surrealism of the book was innovative uh, back in Victorian times, and you can see its influence on pop culture over the years. But as a logical young person, it was never my cup of tea. 
Wait, the tea party wasn't that one. Wasn't in Through the Looking Glass. Good point. Uh, all that growing big and small and encouraging, talk, encountering talking animals and crazy adult characters was too trippy for me. <laughs> I once played the March Hare in a production of uh, Alice's. Okay. Yeah. I should have worn underwear. That was my, uh, that was a mistake I made. As in like better underwear. I wore the kind of underwear you'd wear when you're 14. And your mom buys you your underwear, and I had these big <laughs> have... baggy pants. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it was it wasn't great. It wasn't a great uh, choice on my part. <laughs> did your did your underwear have motorcycles on them? <laughs> Someone commented on my underwear having motorcycles on them when I was in grade eight in gym class, and that was mortifying. Mortifying. Well, here's what you should have said. You want to see me pop a wheelie? <laughs> <laughs> Somehow that would have made it even worse. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Uh, Can I just say here. that when I was a when I was a lad, when I was a teenager, my mum or someone gave me a book which was the, which was the complete works of Lewis Carroll, which I still have. It was a hardcover book with a with a cover that was kind of a shared between the series of books that that did this, and so it had like Alice in Wonderland and Alice Through the Looking Glass and The Hunting of the Snark and uh, another one that I can't remember the name of, like two character name. Um, can't remember now. Anyway, so I read, you know, I read all those stories, and I really enjoyed them actually. But I read them as a teenager, mm. you know, so it was more, it was more interesting. But I, I'm going to let Peter now take up the story though, because I was going to say this, but from a different point of view than him. So let's let's uh, let's listen to what Peter okay, has. Okay, were you thinking Sylvie and Bruno? That's the one. Thank you. All right. Let me ask you this real real fast. Yep. Was uh, was uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland? And through the looking glass, were they the same worlds, or did she go into two separate worlds and have two adventures? Um, were they pair? Were there no? I think because there was the, the queen was the queen was in both both stories, right? Okay. Because the end, there's a chess match in this in the second book, I think. All right. Okay. Uh, but as you say, there is a response. It's been a while. Quite, it's been quite a while since I read those stories. So. Quite a quite a lengthy response. Here we go. Yes. Uh, Peter Ares. I assume that is how. I think it's just Peter. I think it's just Peter Ares. Ayers. Don't you remember Peter, Phil? Peter, don't you remember Peter, Phil Ayers? Peter Ayers or Peter Ayers? Phil Ayers. Well, Phil Ayers was the uh, band leader at North Delta Senior Secondary, and he had the same spelling of his name. Very good. Uh, that's interesting, Lisa Louise. I'm probably one of those adults, but as a youngster, I really enjoyed disappearing into the strange world conjured up by Alice, particularly in audiobook and play form. Looking back, I think the appeal lay in its combination of free-roaming childlike fantasy with characters and situations reflecting a child's view of the puzzling and sometimes menacing adult world. Despite the unreal setting, the feeling of disorientation rang true. As I got older and reread the book, layers began to reveal themselves until I finally got around to reading The Annotated Alice, in which uh, the Scientific American's legendary Martin Gardner unpicks uh, the various mathematical, uh, linguistic, I think it's unpacks, but I'm going to go with unpicks. Uh, mathematical, <laughs> linguistic, and philosophical puzzles held within the text. One delightful visual pun that I've missed uh, till then is hidden in the illustration of the caterpillar. What appears to be a nose and chin in profile are also his front legs. It probably goes without yes. saying, but the Tim Burton adaptation completely misses any of the depth that makes the stories rich, replacing carefully crafted nonsense with slapdash silliness and dream logic with random trippiness. <laughs> I just say, Tim Burton, ah, uh, you were riding high on our praise for Pee-wee's big adventure, and now we slap you down. Back to your place, dizzying highs, crushing lows. <laughs> what we talked about earlier, please don't. Um, Peter continues. And I like that he writes, Peter continues. Yes. <laughs> um, 
I, I should say that, by the way, whenever we're interrupting each other. Yeah. It's just like, Ian Boothby continues. <laughs> or when you're interrupting the letter. Yeah. Previously on this conversation. Yeah. Uh, I remember hating the original Thomas the Tank Engine books with a passion as a kid. Something about the images of a flat gray faces stretched upon hyper-realistic trains and perfect sun-drenched countryside creeped me out then and later struck me as positively Casca-esque. Uh, Thomas <laughs> woke up one morning to find himself transformed into a monstrous steam engine, yes. unable to turn his head or move sideways. <laughs> <laughs> but then he did, and you know how he did it, because he went, I think I can, I think mm, I can. Yes. Um, that's just, uh, still, I thought, uh, picking up a book to reread uh, to my train-mad toddler, they're still very popular, so there must be something in those stories. Let's give it a go. Ugh. Has there ever been stodgier, more indigestible prose? <laughs> Do any other kids' books have more crushingly vindictive, stay-in-your-lane morals? Take as an example, Reverend W. Audrey's third truly chilling, in which Henry refuses to leave a tunnel because it started raining. His crew, the passenger, another engine, and the then fat controller try to get him to move, but to no avail. Quoting directly from the book, so they gave it up. So they gave it up. They told Henry, we shall leave you there for always and always and always. They took up the old rails, built a wall in front of them, and cut a new tunnel. Now Henry can't get out, and he watches the trains rushing through the new tunnel. He is very sad, because no one will ever see his lovely green paint with wet red stripes again. But I think he deserved it, don't you? No. That's, <laughs> that's fucked. I know, I've seen that is a live fucked. version of that, and that is really, really... That is fucked. I know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an Edgar Allan Poe story. He's walling him up. <laughs> it's the, the tunnel of Amontillado. That is, uh, well, that is awful. Oh, that's very good. Well done, Dave. Oh, thank you. Honestly, if we... You, I was going to say the little engine that Kafka, but I couldn't get it in oh, time. Oh, no, the other one's better. Uh, <laughs> I, would say, I would say, like, if we hadn't promised them a 500th episode, I'd wrap up the series now. That's as good as it's going to get. Uh-huh. Regis! Wait, before you, before you get to Regis, let me just... I just want to make a ripost to, to Peter, which is... Please do. Ripost away. Thank you. Uh... So, like I said, I I read the the Alice in Wonderland stories when I was when I was a teenager, and I really enjoyed them. And so I came upon that Martin Gardner book in my school library in high school and in, in senior high school, and I thought to myself, "Well, this is right up my alley. I can read the story and get the backstory at the same time." And I wanted to say that I'm a big fan of Martin Gardner. He wrote for many many years in one of my favorite magazine, which magazines, which was the Skeptical Inquirer, which I, I am still a reader of. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that because it's been a while since I picked up one. So <laughs> I used to be a faithful reader of, I, I just don't go to the magazine stores anymore. So, uh, like I used to, you know, I just don't go to bookstores because I used to be, it used to be more in my travels, you know. But anyway, so, um, I got this book and I just thought this is going to be great. And then I started reading it, you know, and so you read, you read part of the prose of the story and there's like a little footnote and then you go down to the bottom of the page and then you read this like, really long explanation of what the white knight was it was supposed to be uh disraeli who lewis carroll disagreed with over this blah 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 what okay uh then you then you go back up and you read a little bit more of the story and then there's another footnote and then you look down and, and then this character represented gladstone and blah 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 and it, you know some some sort of like fighting over some sort of 
stamp tariff. (laughs) 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 Hey, Martin Gardner, who gives a shit? Quit interrupting the fucking book with this garbage. So yeah, I just, it was just not for me. I just couldn't, I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it. There's something, something, maybe if I just read like an, an essay by him that just like went, you know, if you ever read, you know, Alice in Wonderland, you'd probably be interested to know that, you know, Lewis Carroll had some political interest and, you know, used the story as a metaphor for blah, blah, blah. Then I would be interested. But to constantly interrupt the story and have to go down to the bottom and read these elaborate footnotes, is this too much for me? It was too much for me. Because it broke up the story. Like, when you read Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, which everyone does, obviously. Sure, sure. When, you know, he'll, he, it's also full of footnotes because he, there was things, information that he wanted to tell you or little stories that he wanted to tell you that he couldn't fit into the, the body of the, of the, the text. So he would put them in as footnotes. But because it related to what was you were reading, it didn't feel like it was like this giant break from the story just to get like a bunch of tidbits. Like he's, they were integrated, you know, in, in a way that these didn't feel that way. They just kept, interrupting it was like you're trying to read and then someone was tapping on the shoulder and saying oh by the way ah, i didn't like it but i'm glad you did peter i'm glad you enjoyed it and i do agree with you that martin gardner is a great guy an interesting person because he was a he was a uh, what's sorry sorry what are you gonna say no you oh sorry i was just gonna say he's an interesting person because he was he wrote he wrote for the skeptical inquirer he was a, a skeptic but he was also a deist he believed in in god not necessarily a christian god but he believed in the concept of god as a as a creative force in the universe which i thought was very interesting that he was part of the that skeptical world because if you ever read the skeptic or the skeptical inquirer one of my bugbears as as a person who's religious was their constant um, putting down of religious believers. And I just was kind of like, you're not really helping your cause if you're constantly putting down the people who you're attempting to convince. You know, like, that's not going to, like, win you any friends. So, you know, you have to understand, like, you know, there are believers who have a skeptical turn of mind, maybe have accepted, you know, a philosophical concept that you haven't, but, you know, like, that doesn't mean, that's not like a break from reality. Let's Let's all calm down, everybody. But, you know, whatever. Just because you believe in God doesn't mean you're going to buy urine therapy, is what I'm saying. Anyway, go on. <laughs> I was I was thinking like uh, I, I like your I like your uh, thing there where like uh, you got his Alice in Wonderland, and then you got like his book, and then next to it is your reply to his book, which is "Who gives a shit?" <laughs> <laughs> it's just you throwing up your hands, looking angry. I love, I love that book. Um, <laughs> And it's just, it's the same book that he just wrote, but just like, it's, it's you just pointing to everything he says and just goes, give some shit. <laughs> Snore. Ugh. That would be great. Actually, just further footnotes of me interrupting Martin Gardner. Yeah. I like it very much. Uh, I'm going to work on that right now. You think you're a skeptic. Okay. we got to stop the uh, show. I'm going to go to work on that book. Please do. It's my, it's my uh, next read, project. He just writes, yeah. Hi. Do it short, remember? Uh, <laughs> oh. By the way, and Regis, I love Regis's letters. They sometimes come across as an image poem. So <laughs> it's fine. It's all good. So uh, just remember, this is I'm reading it as written, and we love that you write us, and it's all great, and it's fine. Uh, hi, do it short, remember? Sub-answer with some continuity in my last post. Ghostbuster. I rewatched the movie recently, and uh, when I was a young... Uh, all that matters was the logo, a bunch of dudes in cool uniforms and plasma <laughs> weapons, a killer car, a ton of FX monsters. 
but mostly the plasma weapons and the car. <laughs> Speaking of cars, oh boy, short. The Bluesmobile, <laughs> then the Ecto-1. Is there a trend with Dan Aykroyd in cars? I so. I agree. Or was it the 80s? I'm betting Dr. Detroit had a good problem. That's me. I'm tension. Anyway, <laughs> or was it the 80s? Hey, remember the Back to the Future DeLorean? Oh, no. It's just America. The petrol burning empire. But hell yeah, they got pretty cool cars. Let me tangent off and say, you know, one thing that uh, I always think when I see Back to the Future now is like how uh, close Doc Brown was to giving the Libyans a time machine. <laughs> yeah, that's an, under, that's an underplayed part of that film for sure. Yeah, completely underplayed part of the film. They shoot him dead. Yeah. If Marty wasn't there, yeah. or if they shot Marty, sure. then all of a sudden they get in the car, they, they drive it, and mm-hmm. the second they pass 88 you know, <laughs> miles per hour, yeah. boom, all of a sudden they're in the future of the past. And, uh, oh, that's uh, that's going to win them a war. Yeah. <sighs> what, what we need is Martin Gardner to do an annotated version of uh, Back to the Future. See, when we said Libyans, what we really meant was our inner selves. <laughs> keep focus. Oh, geez, that's good advice for me, too. We're just start with that. Uh, back to the awkwardness of the movie. Sex is everywhere. Yeah. Bill Murray isn't the kind of – isn't he uh, kind of a sex predator? You know what? I'm going to say this about that. I'm going to tangent off here and answer your question. Uh, I would say there is one opportunity, basically, when uh, he is actually offered sex by Sigourney Weaver's character, and he turns her down. Yeah. So, as much as he is, you know, a bad boy, when push comes to shove yeah. and consent cannot be given, he does not take advantage of the situation with the possessed body of, you know, the woman that he is attracted to. So, I mean, geez, small comforts, small, you know, slap, you know. But he doesn't. Okay. Uh, it depends. I think your feelings about him depend on who you empathize with in that opening scene. Are you with him? Are you with him? Or are you with the boy? Do you feel sorry for the boy for getting, you know, for being the, the stooge to make Peter feel better about himself and... and make the girl attracted to him or do you are you in Peter's side and like yeah that's what you do you got to get that girl well here's the other thing is it's it's one of these movies where the person isn't good off the top mm-hmm. they grow as a person and yeah. become a better person yeah. and rise to the occasion there you go but yeah off the top he's you know he's crap um, <laughs> and a con guy and should be kicked out of the school yeah. the school is right <laughs> what we're saying is yes I mean, clearly they've been there for many years, and this is the first ghost they've ever seen. You know, and they don't know that it's really a ghost. Yeah. Eh, okay. All right. Sorry. Uh, I mean, he's quite insistent with Sigourney, uh, which Sigourney is bewitching uh, the key uh, the key master. But then you've got the ghost blowjob. Is that why there's always doors slamming when ghosts are around? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the Ron Jeremy cameo. He is an extra. Not really a cameo. He's an extra. Uh, creamy ending. I'm feeling uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, the uh, yeah, the blowjob ghost. Uh, ooh. Yeah. Uh, we, we watched we watched that in uh, Stanley Park, and you know they're showing a family movie night. Everybody enjoyed Ghostbusters. <laughs> that's one of the, yeah. That's there you go. There's there's a good example of a movie that's being marketed to the wrong people for sure. Yeah, and then you got because originally that scene was. In the movie proper, it was actually in the movie, and they were in a house and all this. Mm-hmm. But then, like, here's the ethical dilemma: you're a ghostbuster, yeah. Uh, and like, uh, so if a ghost uh, pleasures you, let them go. F- or afterwards, do you capture them yeah. in, the, in the box? And you know, yeah. Do you take also, them out for dinner? 
yeah, do you take him out for dinner? Do you, does the ghost have free will? Uh, I'll, you know, by the way, that is a good way to get your penis best. It had free will. Anyway, go on. Okay, good. <laughs> um, some precisions about YouTube uh, references. Here we go. Doug DeMurto is one of the major Doug, car YouTubers. Doug DeMurto. There we go. And you know what? After after the show was over, I was thinking about it, and I was yeah. like, oh, I watch that guy talk about Subarus all the time. <laughs> so. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> well, I appreciate you knowing uh, their name. He reviews quirks <laughs> and features of cars, and I kind of think it has a air de famille with uh, J, J11. Uh, As for mm. uh, Vsauce 1, the Michael one, it's a very intelligent uh, science vulgarization channel. Very, very, very well written. For real random stuff from an internet channel, Aussie Man Reviews uh, makes me laugh very hard. His commenting on meme-esque videos, cats, fails, his uh, Destination F'd series. Very witty, in my humble opinion. Are we done? Yeah. Nope. He's About very, mothers. He's Damn, very good. No! He's very good. Uh, uh, my mother thought I was gifted when I was a child. She hmm. was a psychologist. But my father, uh, don't. He was a psychiatrist. <laughs> And at this time, who won? Who won that? Yeah, one of, them, one of them can give you medicine. Uh, and at this time, the gifted concept was perceived as something between a make believe and a Barnum circus act. Uh, and only <laughs> well known for the little geniuses, the one that succeed. They also really liked that uh, chicken that could play tic tac toe. Um, <laughs> mother learned it, but didn't tell. And I found out recently that the kind of opposite for uh, Rick uh, Beato, uh, guitarist, musical oh, genius. Oh, Rick, Rick Beato. Beato. You know what? That's, there you go. Another YouTuber. Um, another YouTuber. Uh, he's got perfect pitch. Mm. His son has it too. And when young, he had problems in school. His mother told him to forget it. You're too intelligent for your teachers. I think he uh, checks a lot of the gifted check boxes. Yeah, Mamma he, mia! Yeah, he's amazing. Cool. He's he's a guy who can like listen to a song for the first time and then then just start playing along with it. Or he'll listen and he'll go he'll go. Oh, this song is in drop C. I have to change my guitar. And he's like, well, how do you hear these things? It's amazing. I've seen a guy do that with drums. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because I guess you can you could tune drums as well. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Like he heard Enter Sandman for the first time. I was like, mm. uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. Got it. Okay. Uh, and so uh, that's all, folks. Thank God. Phew. Thank you for writing. <laughs> you know. You know what? I, oh, I preferred the I preferred the old Regis who just uh, you know didn't hold it back. No, I'm just joking. That's great. That's great. I'm glad that you reminded me who Doug DeMuro is because it was sort of bugging me. But uh, yeah, I, I like to watch him talk about Subarus because I'm I'm interested in buying a Subaru. There we go. And when I'm interested in something, I obsess over it. If anyone is looking for a nice uh, 500th anniversary uh, or, uh, present for us, yeah. uh, a Subaru for Dave is good. Yeah, w- WRX. That's perfect. Thanks, guys. And for me, again, <laughs> shoebox full of these. <laughs> Edward Dragansky writes, I didn't enjoy this as a kid, but my elementary school was really into uh, Chisenbaum as, uh, as an alternative math. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I've never uh, heard of this. Well, let's let's talk more about it. So much so that other subjects suffered because of it. To this day, I really suck at geography because it was pushed aside in favor of Chizen. I remember watching the films on Chizen and the teacher struggling to teach us how to count, but no one else seems to remember our school adopting it into the curriculum. It's almost like a joke whenever I mention it today, as if I made it all up to be funny. That's a funny word, Chizen. Um, I think it's also a handsome. Uh, I have to give you both a huge amount of credit for bringing so many experiences, subjects, and stories to the forefront of our collective memories. Stuff I haven't thought about in years. I'll assume it's because we're all of the same age, very young, 
and remember the same things from our early years. But I can't think of any other place that has covered so much ground in my collective memory. Dark Shadows is just one example. I remember that show, but I hadn't thought about it since I was a kid. Now David discusses it every week. <laughs> or does he? Yeah. Sometimes he just goes to Ikea and just drifts. <laughs> sometimes sometimes I'm irresponsible. You you take him to a place with cheap hot dogs. will not leave. <laughs> uh, Sneaky Dragon is the greatest time machine for the mind that I know of. Or rather, several moderately old guys making sure we discuss random shit so we don't forget it all entirely. I don't like one of the words in that sentence. Uh, and that was moderately. Though, yeah, you guys cover some... <laughs> Fantastical stuff that really tickles the old medulla oblongata now and then. Speaking of... I love that song by Styx. Oh, very nice. Well, let's hear a little. Medulla oblongata, Mr. Oblongata. Whatever it goes on. I can't remember now. I think that's a police song. (laughs) (laughs) Medulla Um, oblongata, are you safe? Are you safe? Medulla oblongata, (laughs) medulla are you safe? Um, (laughs) From Synchronicity, eh? Uh, speaking of time travel, if you've been following any of the news concerning the new Indiana Jones film, you'll see it may involve a dyed lock or the Nazi bell, rumored to be a scientific weapon that was designed to travel through time. Die Glock may be the latest MacGuffin. Can I, can I just correct you? Just, I'm sorry. It's, Please. It's Die Glocke. I don't want to. I don't care. <laughs> so you were discussing the Indiana Jones films. And uh, what the upcoming plot might be. This yeah, the, is where... probably response was, who gives a shit, Dave? Uh, someone grabbed a photo of a concept board, and there's just a device on it that resembles... That clock! <laughs> if that doesn't work out, Indy can just sit on his porch enjoying his retirement, screaming at the Nazi kids to get off his lawn. <laughs> oh, that is sad. There are Nazis. Uh, I can uh, clearly remember parents blindly... Uh, taking their young kids to see Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, this we're back to witness. Mm, yeah. I got into a heated debate with my mom's friend about it. She assumed that because it featured cartoon characters, uh, that it was plainly marketed toward children. My defense was, uh, did she pay attention to the rating of the film? I stated that it's there for a reason, and if you ignore it, seeing the film at your own risk. My mom then got all mad at me for arguing with her friend. He gave me the usual, and what makes you such a know-it-all? You don't know everything. <laughs> because your mom was Kevin Meany. Look him up. <laughs> One of the jobs at both my current and former places of employment is to design kids' meal toys. You wouldn't believe some of the movies that have wanted to tie into kids' meals in some way just to be promoted. One of the best satirized videos in years was the commercial selling kids' action figures for the film Philadelphia. I remember that. I don't and, remember this. Is this real? Yeah. Uh, that he includes a video of it. Uh, it has, uh, well, it's not, it's a parody. Uh, it has kids playing with action figures and dinosaur toys. Dino Buddy, uh, not even remotely based on the film, but purely marketed towards kids' play. They all have ships, play sets, lasers, flamethrowers, and transform into jets. There's even a Sega Genesis Philadelphia game. <laughs> and uh, includes the link to the Saturday Night Live sketch. Ah, it's a sketch. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminds me of... Uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, one of the first things they did uh, was a uh, Bronte Sisters. I think, maybe, is it the Bronte Sisters? Yeah, I think it's the Bronte Sisters action figures, and they like Voltron and all have powers. Reminds me a bit of that. Um, Crystal, thank you very much for your, for your letter. Uh, Crystal writes, oh, Crystal's back. Hooray, Crystal. Crystal wrote us uh, last episode, but just to say thank you to me for uh, sending her a link 
to a, a thing about Daryl Ham Hammond and uh, and uh, a documentary about him because she was bringing up Daryl Hammond. So she thanks me for that. Thank you for the thanks. Now back to your uh, letter of this week. Um, hello to Dave, Ian, and everyone kindly lending their ears. Having listened to uh, Regis's viewer comments concerning intelligence in last week's episode, I have come to the realization that Sneaky Dragon is a podcast produced by and marketed towards the highly capable retro and not quite retro pop culture centric geniuses of the world. <laughs> Finally, that's what it's about. <laughs> 498 episodes, we had no idea, and we finally got it. Thank you. Let me fill that out on our taxes. Finally. And I think I put all the decimal points right. Eh, what's it matter? Send it off. Dave, you owe them yours. Oh, shoot. Why am I laughing? Yes, I would place the whole listening audience into the category of genius, or at least Me highly too. intelligent. I have not met a dum-dum that this show. So. Me neither. Even though uh, some of you are probably shaking your heads with a mixture of both humility and imposter syndrome, filled disagreement and anxiety, I concur with Regis that there is a pattern in the similarities shared by hosts and audience. Call it birds of a feather flock together or what have you. Yeah. Well, it seems if we were more intelligent, we could come up with another metaphor. Anyway, uh, people do gravitate towards what is familiar with. Really? Well, let me just say this, Crystal. Have you heard of opposites attract? I'm there. Counter-argument. Uh, back to your praise. Now, if we just harness our collective intelligence and individual talents and combine it with the financial help of a government grant, we could, dare I say it, rule the world. <laughs> Something yeah. that Rob Paulson could get behind if he'd stop talking about his cameraman role. Fun to Paul movie. Um, question of the week. <laughs> Food is the one thing that first thing comes to mind when I think of things I enjoyed as a kid that no one seems to remember now. Nabisco had a little box of assorted cookies that had sugar wafers, cream-filled cameo cookies, a cookie that was shaped like an onk, and if you opened up the box, it had red tea. You also had one full. My parents would purchase a box every couple of weeks. I also enjoyed cookies called Giggles that were shaped like smiling faces. I remember, I remember that there was a breakfast cereal that was like all these smiling faces as well. And I remember it as uh, smiles and chuckles and giggles and laughs. But it wasn't called that. It was called something else like smiley. And I remember uh, it was the cookies. Were, are you sure it wasn't cereal? Was it cookies? If it was, it's fine. Uh, both ideas could have been simultaneous. Yeah. And does anyone remember the drink, uh, drink called Burple? It was a bottle that was collapsible like an accordion. and contained a powdered drink. You stretched out the bottle, filled it with water, put the cap on, gave a few shakes for a fruit drink. The fun part was that you could collapse the bottle and it would make a burp sound. <laughs> I also enjoyed drinking New York seltzer-flavored waters. Those are back, at least here in Canada. Uh, I, I heard they started making those again. They're back. You heard it from me. Uh, but they didn't get distributed in this part of the South. They're here. Come get some. <laughs> I wish Kraft would reboot their whipped butter. It came in yellow tubs. I can remember how great it tasted when spread across a slice of buttermilk bread. Country crock, another modern oleo margarine aren't just as... Sub-question. I will let you in on a terrible secret. Hmm? In the library world, there's a lot of bad librarianship. Librarians who have never read a particular book make a judgment call and assign it to a certain, a certain areas of the library, be it fiction, juvenile fiction, or young adult fiction. Many, many times when a librarian 
is looking to deselect, we call it weeding. Oh, we call uh, something different weeding up here. It's marijuana-based. Never mind. Um, The collection (laughs) to make room for incoming books. Mm -hmm. Librarians will come across a classic novel that hasn't circulated. The librarian has guilt about discarding a classic novel simply because it's considered a classic, and they will move it to the juvenile fiction uh, collection. This explains so much. This explains so much. Thinking it was a classic. So it must be suitable for children, obviously. The librarian <laughs> hasn't read the book there. Reclassify. Yeah. Walk into any library, go to their junior fiction section, and you will find, uh, you may well find, uh, James uh, Fenimore Cooper, Jules Verne, Jane Austen, or any other number of classic works uh, promoted as uh, children suitable simply because they are old. A child in fourth grade is not going to have the same interest or understanding of A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens, as would an adult. And yet, there they are. It's true, but when you think about, like, in terms of pop popular culture, like, a lot of those books are promoted as children's stories. Like, you know, as a kid, I, we watched 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the Walt Disney movie. Yep. And so that gives you the idea that Jules Verne's stories are for children, which they're not. They're much, they're much more complicated. They're too complicated for children to read. You know, we... We're blaming Disney for a lot of stuff here. We, we watched Oliver Twist... You know, Oliver Twist was thought as t- it's for kids because it, it has kids in the story. Yeah. You know, let's ignore the fact that it also has a murderer who kills his girlfriend, you know. So, and it's about children who are, you know, tricked into becoming pickpockets by a, a criminal who, you know, creates this situation of, you know, fake familial uh, kind of cult-like situation where the kids are brainwashed into becoming the, the you know, his, his right-hand men, you know. And and those anyone who steps out of line gets in trouble. You know that's why Bill is there as well, the murderer. You know, so these aren't stories for children. They're you know these were stories written for adults. You know, in in Dickens' case, to expose the the un, you know the unfairness and the and the problems with the orphanages of that time. And these were stories that were written to you know in some ways they're kind of heightened you know to, to in order to create more you know to create outrage in, in the audience so that uh, reforms could be made but that's what the purpose of those stories were you know they're not to entertain children it's just, it's interesting like i it's, it's uh, thank you crystal for for explaining that because i never i've never thought about it in that way but i'm sure this has like gone on for years where where books you know older books like mark twain and things of like that were you know when people lo- you know for, because because you know interest in 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 the past is generational so you know the immediate generation after twain is not going to be interested in mark twain books so those books are going to be sitting collecting dust in the library and then the librarians are going to be like well you know we better get these books out of here no one's interested in them i feel really guilty about throwing these old books out let's move them down into juvenile fiction so then the idea is now you know tom sawyer and huckleberry finn and, and books like that have now been degraded from being for adults now they're for children you know when, but the language and and the storylines and stuff like that are wholly adult. Anyway, please continue. End of. No, it's an interesting, I and mean, yeah, it's a, a longer discussion of like, what would you consider, you know, a kid's book, and what would you consider an all ages book, and what's that, what's that mean, you know? Because if you go like uh, any old fairy tales, those are gruesome horror stories that yeah. children probably. Uh, it's too much for children, but but that <laughs> but they're fine. They're for they 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 were for kids. And then even if you yeah. like Pinocchio, mm-hmm. you know all the things you were saying about um, Oliver Twist. Obviously, Pinocchio is fanciful. Yeah, but you know it's uh, horrible things happen to, to that little puppet. Yeah, I was horrible. given that I was given that book as a kid to read. Which one? 
Pinocchio. I was given at Christmas, I was given that book, and this is before I left Coquitlam, so this is before grade six. Probably, I was probably in grade four or five when I was given Pinocchio to read, and I did read it, or, you know, and it is not like the movie. <laughs> like, it's. Oh, and no way! It's a horror he kills show. Jimmy Cricket right off the top. Yeah, it's a horror uh, show. He's, you know? he's, he becomes, I think, like, I think he's got some sort of skin at one point, and they just boil it off. Uh, yeah, it's, it's no boiling scene. It is literally a horror show, and it's and, a horror show. But again, yeah. it's a book for kids. But it's a book for. But it's just a, it's a you know. And I just think that those books that are that old, you know, like they they experience this first. Like nowadays, it's going to be like different classics. So like, I don't, I don't, you know, I I guess I can assume that it would happen with books from. Uh, I I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know an equivalent of that. Maybe. Like, what would be an equivalent now? Like, what would we consider classics that aren't getting signed out of libraries that are moving down? Uh, I don't know. Like, you know, like, what makes a book for children? Well, language for the first thing, like, like reading comprehend, like reading levels, like comprehension of words. You know, if the language is too complicated, it really is not for children to read. Well, when you're yeah. mentioning Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer, mm-hmm. I remember a summer that I read those books. Like, and as soon as I read Tom Sawyer, I wanted to read Huckleberry Finn. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. And I just devoured them. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, and I was eleven years old. Sure. And uh, you know, th- that was that was good. <laughs> I liked. It. I wanted to read more adult stuff. I think back then. Yeah, and I just uh, and you know, books. and I would wager that there were some elements of the book that you read at that time that kind of went over your head, but you just read oh, it, it anyway. Would go over my head now. Yeah, I mean, I read yeah. ca- I read I read Catch Twenty Two in Grade Eight, the Joseph Heller book about World War Two. There's no way. I mean, I reread it in my twenties, and my thought was. I missed so much the first time I read this book because so much of it was incomprehensible to me. You know, there's so there's so many adult situations that I would have no idea about in grade eight. Maybe not that bad. Maybe not. I mean, how old would I have been then? Thirteen? Grade eight? Mm-hmm. I don't remember. I don't know those things. Oh, grade eight? Yeah, yeah. you did thirteen. Okay. You know, so yeah, I just feel like you know, what's the point of me reading those books? I just I just read them because. You know, I was a reader. I remember in grade 10, a teacher gave me the Ken Kesey book, Sometimes the Great Notion, which is this book about intergenerational struggle and these two, two, this lumberjack family. And it's very long. And I read it all faithfully because the teacher had given it to me to read. But I don't think I got the full, <laughs> gave that book the full justice of my experience, my callow experiences as a grade 10 uh, student could, could, you know, understand this book about, you know, uh, father-son dynamics and things like that you know like like no that book is uh that's that's a deep book that i missed i missed a lot of it i should probably reread it one day but yeah i know it's it's uh it's an interesting thing i I find that really uh really curious and i'm just trying to think now like what kind of books of that ilk will will kind of sink down into like animal farm will that be for kids to read this this parable of stalinist russia enjoy it kids oh, that was around that was around in the juvenile section when i was a kid oh was it oh, okay well kind of cartoony cover yeah 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 i mean i can see like uh you know like it was made into an animated film in the in the late 60s early 70s in yeah, uh, british company they, they pushed it as a kid's film but the, yeah. i mean what the hell it was on tv quite a bit yeah and they, they didn't say don't watch this yeah 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 I'm going to continue with the letter. Please uh, do. Uh, just say, is, Crystal oh, continues. Uh, funny thing is, the majority of the children who borrow books from the juvenile section of the library want gateway titles like Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Dogman, Captain Underpants, which are hybrids between novel and graphic novel. Uh, the reverse is also true. There's a lot of books in the young adult section of libraries that uh, need to be moved to the adult fiction collection. Uh, an author may start out writing uh, for young adults, 
but later write materials geared towards adults, librarians who haven't read the books and know we can't read everything that comes into our collections, <laughs> often think that so-and-so is a young adult author. So I'll put a new book in there, even though it shouldn't go there. This is a particular pet peeve of mine. <laughs> and yes, speaking of books, Sparks and Sparks Double Dog Dare are in cataloging right now, waiting to be processed for the collection. Yay! <laughs> Maybe I'll catalog them as 636.7, nonfiction Dewey Decimal uh, for dogs. Since the cats parade around as a dog. Ah, just kidding. Listen, do not joke about the Dewey Decimal system. Okay? Do not do that. Yeah. There's a lot of things we find fun and funny, but uh, that's sacred. That's sacred. Uh, just kidding. They'll go into the juvenile collection. Better write some more, though. We just said we did. Um, kids, check out the newest in the series, and I want the next one. Coming February 1st, 2022. Thank you for letting us plug that one more time. <laughs> Happy week, and take care. Thanks so much, Crystal. Thank you. If you want to be cool like Crystal... Um, uh, and write letters to us. Well, you should, but we usually tell you a question of the week first. And let me uh, throw throw this one out. If we haven't done this one already, you tell me, Dave. Okay. Um, I'm on. Uh, it. You were mentioning before a movie that had a great scene in it, but was not a great movie. What's a movie that's got a great scene, but the movie eh, can't recommend the movie, mm. but the scene is great. Yeah. Something like, say, Jade. Jade. Oh, yeah, it has a great car chase. Holy great cow. Great car chase, the movie itself. Woo. Ugh. Stinky, stinky, stinky Pete. <laughs> I'm thinking Cliffhanger as well. The opening sequence is fantastic, opening but the rest of the film. Is great, yeah. The rest of the film is a bit of a bore, in my opinion. I will agree with that, but we're going to throw that over to you guys. Yes, you guys give on. us your answers. Um, and, uh, and do you have a, a, another question? Yes, I do. I, my question is more of a, a project this week. Oh, okay. I want okay. you to invent a piece of furniture at Ikea and name it. Lovely. It can be, it can be, but it can just be like anything, like a bookcase, but I just want, I just want you to name it. I want, I want to hear your Ikea names for, for furniture. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to like invent, I don't mean like create a whole new a piece of furniture. I just mean like, say like, this is the kitchen chair and it's called the, that's, that's the thing. So let's hear your answers. Be creative this week, folks. And, you know, you can go the Billy way or you can go the Shocker way. <laughs> way. Um, You're a real so member of the Billy Club, you, aren't you? Yeah. Here's how you – it's just weird. They're all odd names and then Billy. <laughs> Where did Billy show up? What, what's the Billy's deal? Yeah. Um, and it's the most popular one. So maybe you'll want to mm, do something with that there again. Um, so here's how you write to it. If you feel like emailing us, you can email us at sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. That's a way. I'm, I'm mixing it up, by the way. No. Uh, sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. If you want to go on Facebook, we do have a page there, and we enjoy your posts there. If you like Twitter, uh, we're at sneaky underscore dragon. And if you like Tumblr, do you still? Sneakydragon.tumblr.com. Fine. We're not going to judge you. <laughs> but the main way that people, you know, it's mainstream, but it's so mainstream it's cool again is to go to SneakyDragon.com. And there we have every episode of the show. Underneath every episode of the show, we have a little message space. And that's where we read most of the letters from. By the way, if you don't want your letter read, just give us a little thing saying, don't read this. I'm like, okay, we won't read it out loud. Well, you can actually say, don't read this letter at all. And we're like, okay, delete it, gone. <laughs> we'll do that. We will promise you we'll do that. But, uh, you know, otherwise we'll uh, read it uh, out loud probably. Unless, you know, it's full of swears because we're not... Or jokes about the Dewey Decimal System. (laughs) 
we don't, it off. We don't know how Chris will slip that past us. Uh, yeah, we're also, again, as I said, we're coming up on our 500th episode, uh, meaning I've got to clean my basement, um, which is fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Dave's all vaccinated. I'm going to try and get vaccinated as soon as I can. And, uh, and you know what? Afterwards, Dave and I may uh, eat a meal together for the first time in over a year. I'm very excited. Holy cow. Are there still white spots? We don't know. <laughs> we have no idea. But we'll find out, and you will as well. Uh, so uh, please listen to our 500th show and uh, also our 499th, which is coming up next week. Or if you listen to these in uh, not weekly order, then whenever you want to listen. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can do what you want, really. We can, you can do what you want live your life. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Don't listen to us. We're not, we're not your boss. We're not your boss, but we want five ideas on our desk by Monday. That's right. Five IKEA names by Monday. That's right. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for listening to the show. We really do appreciate your kind attention. I have been Ian. And I have been David. And this has been The Interruption Show. <laughs> what did you say? What? Nope. Sorry. I was trying to... Bye. I was going... Bye. Wait. I was just trying to... Oh. Uh, anyway. I, I guess we should start the show. Uh,